1: Is there anyone less controversial than Dolly Parton? Well, I guess that was true until yesterday. But Wisconsin officials have banned a song, a duet that was sung by Miley Cyrus and Dolly Parton from an upcoming class concert administrators at a Wisconsin elementary school stopped a first-grade class from performing this Miley Cyrus and Dolly Parton duet. By the way, Miley Cyrus is Dolly Parton's goddaughter. I think most people know that, but maybe some people don't. And I happen to be a fan of both. I like both of their music, and I like both of them as, as people. I like their personalities. They strike me as just great entertainers and really interesting people. And they're saying this is banned. They're banning the song or prohibiting its performance because it's promoting LGBTQ issues. And the song could be perceived as controversial. I have to tell you, this is a load of hooey. Students at higher elementary school in Waikisha had prepared a rendition of Rainbow Land for their spring concert. But school officials struck the song from the lineup last week. Parents in the district say the decision was made because the song encourages LGBTQ acceptance. And you ready for this? References rainbows. Rainbows. Now, rainbows are all of a sudden prohibited. I mean, it's just so silly. The superintendent, James Siebert, confirmed to Fox 6 in uh, Wisconsin that administrators had removed Rainbow Land from the first grade concert because it might not be appropriate for the age and maturity level of the students. He also cited a school board policy against raising controversial issues in class. Siebert had uh, previously prohibited rainbows and pride flags from being displayed in classrooms and suspended the school district's equity and diversity work in 2021. First grade teacher Melissa Temple said she chose the song because its message seemed universal and sweet. The class concert's theme was the world and included other songs such as Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles and What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. And according to the teacher, her students were just devastated. They really liked the song and they'd already begun singing it. Administrators also initially banned the song Rainbow Connection from the Muppets. The Muppets. But later, somebody in the school administration decided they had a brain, and they reversed that decision. Parents have been angered by the song's removal, according to the teacher, but she was more concerned about what the ban and other district policies against expressing LGBTQ support meant for students. These confusing messages about rainbows were ultimately creating a culture that seems unsafe towards queer people, she said. Spokespeople for Dolly Parton and Miley Cyrus did not respond to emails. I went and looked at the lyrics of this, this song, Rainbow Land. Oh, you have it. Let, let me hear. I don't want to play the whole song, but let me hear 20, 30 seconds of it. You got the sense. So I'd be, I'd be lying if I said this was fine. All the hurt and the hate going on here. We are rainbows, me and you. Every color, every hue. Let's shine on through. Together, we can start living in a rainbow land. Living in a rainbow land. The skies are blue and things are grand. Wouldn't it be nice to live in paradise? I have to say, there is nothing remotely sexual in this song. There is nothing in this song that mentions lesbianism. This song could just as easily be a song of acceptance about black people or uh, uh, Jewish people or Asian people or, or any sort of people. It's a song about acceptance and how it would be nice if there wasn't hate in the world. That's a wonderful message. It's not as if they're sitting here doing a a children's interpretation of uh, the... Uh, Cardi B song or the Megan Thee Stallion song WAP this is a very age appropriate song there's nothing risque at all in this song there's nothing sexual in this song and if we're trying to tell students that they should accept other people for who they are I don't think there's anything wrong with that that's the message of this song I find this absolutely absurd and I just think it's Quite frankly, idiotic. If uh, you disagree, you're welcome to call in at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I mean, to take a bunch of first graders who had already begun practicing this song, they seemed to like the song, the teacher whose class it was seems to like the song, the parents of these students didn't seem to be raising any objection, And to take these first graders and to make them some sort of a a political football for whatever sort of agenda that you're wanting to push, in my view, it's just another form of cancel culture. And this time, the great Dolly Parton is in the crosshairs. I have a major problem with this. And look, I'm somebody that um, I I kind of bristle whenever I see these books that are in some school libraries that are... are made maybe a little too sexual, a little too graphic for the the students uh, of a certain age to have access to them. I don't think that's appropriate. There's nothing sexual in this song. There's no allusion to being gay. The closest thing is it includes rainbows, includes acceptance. I think this is so freaking dumb. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Stephen Colbert uh, commented on this. We didn't have anything from Dolly Parton or Miley Cyrus talking about it, so I wanted to at least play something. So here's Stephen Colbert.
2: They're afraid of rainbows and being free to be exactly who we are. These are people who were not hugged enough as children. But you know who would hug them? Dolly Parton. In addition... In addition to Rainbow Land, the district also initially blocked the Muppet song Rainbow Connection, although they later went back on that ruling once they learned that Kermit and Miss Piggy are in a traditional frog pig sexual relationship, <laughs> as God intended. Now, <laughs> unsurprisingly, some parents out there uh, speculated the ban on both Rainbow songs was part of a greater crackdown within the school district on LGBTQ issues. Yes, because all rainbows are gay. That's why the school vending machine only serves gray skittles with the slogan, taste the hetero. (laughs) Okay, that's pretty funny. Uh,
1: What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I don't think there's anything wrong with this song. And I think that uh, these students should have been free to sing it. Lou on Long Island, what do you think?
3: Yes, I agree 100%. I just heard it on your uh, the clip he just played a little bit ago, I thought it was very uplifting. I mean, what little kid would like that, you know?
1: Uh, exactly, Lou. I mean, I, I think I realize that um, the gay pride flag has a rainbow on it, but are we really saying that everything that has anything to do everything with rainbows that is identifies
3: gay? identifies with a rainbow has to be identified with gay. No, it's just a rainbow.
1: Exactly. Sometimes it's just a,
3: a freaking rainbow.
1: Exactly, Lou. Uh, I wish uh, I'd love to send you to Wisconsin and have you become the new school administrator there. Well said, Lou. Thank you. 800 848 9222. If you want to comment, especially if you disagree, I'd love to hear from you. Let me tell you what's coming up. We have an action packed show in about five minutes. I'm going to be joined by one of my favorite guests and favorite people, Dr. Judy Kuriansky. She is a relationship therapist, a best-selling author. She's been a radio talk show hostess over the years. Uh, she's been a nine eleven first first responder. She's an incredible person, an absolutely incredible person. And we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things. If I were you, I would take advantage of the fact that Dr. Judy is here, and you might be able to ask her some relationship questions And uh, you can uh, check that out. Uh, You can do so. Take advantage of her expertise at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Additionally, um, next hour, back by popular demand, uh, Gerald Salente is going to be here. A lot going on in terms of his work on the peace movement. But he, his sort of claim to fame was making accurate predictions over the years. So we're going to talk about the situation with the banking and what it means for the economy more broadly. We'll get into some other areas as well. Three o'clock hour, we got the AC report, or the third hour. I realize it's different hours for different people. Uh, the third hour of the program, we have the AC report. And then we have um, a, our weekly sit-down with Brian Kilmeade, which I am always Always looking forward to um, talking with him about a wide variety of things. Now, uh, you want to find us on Twitter, you can, at Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. In general, I just, I, I don't think we should be in the habit of prohibiting things, especially artistic expression. Now, I realize when you're talking public school, that's different. I realize when you're talking children, that's doubly different. That being said, this song is one of the most innocuous songs that I've ever heard Miley Cyrus participate in. There's nothing wrong with it, and the fact that some people, some school administrators, are so uptight that they think that this is somehow going to, I don't know, uh, get a LGBTQ agenda in there. In the brains of children, it's so sick and demented that I think it says a lot more about the person that tries to prohibit that song than it does about anybody else, quite frankly. Matt Plays, do you agree, disagree?
4: No, no I mind. agree that it's ridiculous. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> uh, what? I didn't
1: mean to interrupt you. No, you... no, no,
4: no. We, I agree that it is ridiculous. I'm listening to this song, and it's a very uplifting exactly. song. <laughs> it sounds, it's something like, like the caller said, somebody that little kids, something that little kids would be into, and then the, even the, the first lyric is, it's, it's positivity and accepting all people. And to say that, oh, the rainbow now represents everything
1: gay rainbow's i mean rainbow bright was a doll Is rainbow bright now gay yeah it's i mean it's the most ridiculous thing in the world uh my son has a rainbow colored ball that we found in the supermarket my wife and i were shopping he's in there and he likes a lot of the balls you know how the, the grocery store they have a, a ball basket basically and I bought one of these balls for him. It's a little bouncy ball. I don't know. It's kind of a cross between a volleyball and a kickball, and it's uh, it's rainbow. There's nothing gay or sexual in any way about the ball. It just happens to be rainbow. That's the way this song is. It's just just about rainbows. It's there's nothing wrong with it Whatsoever, in my view. All right, you can find us on Facebook as well Facebook.com/slash Morano fan. The great, the inimitable Dr. Judy Kuriansky joins us straight ahead. If you have uh, relationship questions, then now's the time to call because Dr. Judy is a much better person to ask relationship questions to than I generally am. But we'll get into it with her and a bunch of other things straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
1: Right, my very favorite Judy is in studio. Uh, a legendary clinical psychologist, best selling author, 9 11 first responder. Longtime radio talk show host. Whoa. In fact, the first person in the history of WABC ever to be number one in their time slot. That is true. A tradition that we've continued. A UN NGO representative. Uh, I could go on, but uh, we only have four hours. The one and uh, only Dr. Judy Kuriansky. It's
6: great to see you. It is great to see you, and you're playing Judy in the Sky with Diamonds. That's and right. guess what? I my in my file now as the policy advisor for the Ambassador of Sierra Leone to the United States. Uh, my file is now the diamond business in West Africa. Really?
1: Yes, this is true. Well, do you have any good diamond investment tips uh, for any of us? Uh, well,
6: I—I I was. Uh, do I have investment tips? Look at my own. Very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah. So, do you know the f- most, the biggest country for diamond mining? I don't. In Africa, is Botswana. It? Botswana, really? And after
1: that, Zimbabwe. You know, Botswana seems to have developed a lot differently than the rest of Africa. Uh, is that is that accurate? Is my assessment accurate economically, culturally? And I'm wondering why that is. Um, I don't I don't think so. I mean, no?
6: No. I mean, it, it, it's it's a country that's known for a lot of animal parks and diamonds. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. It sounds and like there's a, a nice fun country. people there, but I'm very connected to Sierra Leone. Because I, I'm as being, I've been there since AIDS, and then I was there during COVID, and and doing Ebola, and all kinds of uh, work that I've done there.
1: There's a bunch of stuff that I want to ask you about. However, um, I am really interested in the scarf that you came this scarf in I'm wearing. wearing. So I want to uh, describe it first of all. Well, I'll let you describe it and then explain to folks. It's got a, made of a pretty nice material too.
6: Well, I mean it's silk. But uh, this is a picture, so you picture this in your mind. Um, it's an African woman, and this is actually an NFT. Oh, really? Yes. You know what that Non-fungible
1: is? Non fungible token. Yeah, I'm just learning about How these. How
6: wild is that? But normally, the NFT is something that like you keep on Trump your. A Donald Trump
1: trading card or, or a <laughs> ticket to a sporting event.
6: You keep it on your on your phone. But my friend Pradeep, who's in who's actually used to be the head of UNAIDS. Is uh, now raising money for women in Africa, the women's health. So I bought an NFT from him for a hundred and twenty dollars. That's not that expensive. No, yeah. So absolutely. I own an NFT. That's outstanding. It's incredible. I didn't even know what they were. <laughs> the point is, how clever is he? It's called Women in Need. So you get your own, your own NFT. It's an African style woman with a different babushka, and <laughs> you know, different. Uh, they even look Egyptian. All these symbols. Um and then you can create it onto something. He's come up with this idea for raising money for women in need in Africa where you can get your NFT, it's on your phone, then you can blow it up and make a scarf out of it. What or, yeah, can
1: you make that can you put that on anything you want anything now that you, you own want? It? Anything That's great. you
6: want, even uh, your underwear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now you're promoting me as a sex service. I had to say something about sex. Okay. Well, okay. Well, well, you know, here, I'm opening my book, Generation Sex. Mm-hmm. 697 pages about the sex questions that I got on my radio show. Okay, so now I just opened it. I'm going to ask you this question. All right. You can play Love Doctor. Pretend you're Dr. Judy on the air asking questions. He says, Gerard, I think I'm a sex fiend. I had sex with three or four girls who know each other. Do you think I should talk to about that to a new girl that I like. She doesn't know my reputation, and I don't want to hurt her feelings, should I tell her.
1: Um, well, so does she know the other three women? Well, we don't know that. Well, you're, so,
6: you, so you're asking the question. There's you. a typical talk show well, host. I, I, well, Instead of giving in a piece of advice, okay. you're
1: asking more questions. So my advice, I'm trying to... I, honestly, my advice would be... Um, You know, if you think you're a a, a sex fiend or a sex addict, then you should probably – seek some sort of professional help (laughs) but but (laughs) i would not i would not share that information you would not uh at at the start of a relationship no i think maybe once things get a little more serious maybe that comes i don't think too
6: many girls would want to hear that you had sex with three or four girls who know each other The first thing the girl would be thinking in her mind oh you're gonna have sex with my friends." well well, uh, yeah I,
1: i think you have to take each of those circumstances as i mean that's not that bad three or four girls that know one another is it Uh, Well, I mean, it's
6: circling around with friends. Nobody wants to have somebody who's like hitting on their friends. Let me
1: ask you a couple couple of things, uh, Judy, on the relationship and the love front. Now, it used to be we spend an enormous amount of our lives, especially people like you and me, at work. Right. And it used to be that it was very common for people to fall in love and get married with people that they met, at, you know, at, at the workplace. Right.
6: Now you can't. Do that. Uh,
1: well, so that's what my question is. So uh, m- both my parents you know, th- who are divorced from one another, they met oh. at work. My uh, father and my stepmother, they met at work. Uh, right. right. Um, uh, Bill de Blasio and his wife and his wife was was gay. When he met her. <laughs> they met at work. And it used to be uh, John Katzmatidis and his wife. uh, He told us uh, they met at work. So um, it used to be uh, clearly you can have a very meaningful um, relationship with someone that you meet through the workplace. These days, there are all these H.R. restrictions. Uh, There are all these this hesitancy, particularly on the part of men, but also women to even engage in any sort of even off premises, anything resembling non-professional flirtatious banter. Not a good idea. Well, that's where I'm going to ask you.
6: Because everybody could get in trouble. It's not a good idea. However, there is a very good reason for that. And that is, first of all, you're spending a lot of time with someone. And second of all, you have a lot of things to share. So there is no question from a psychological and sexologist point of view that if you're going to have a good relationship with somebody, you have to find a common ground of something that excites you that you both enjoy doing outside of the bedroom, you know? Isn't, so isn't that's, that... the whole, that's the whole point. And people don't have time. And my other pieces of advice, because the, the two most common questions that I used to get on the radio, now that was a lot of years of hearing a lot of people. Number one from married people was, or oh, people in a relationship more than a year? How do we spice it up? That was like constant. I could talk about that forever. How do you, you know, bring excitement in because we're bored? And from single people, where do I go to meet somebody? So the, uh, the I used to call it theme park therapy, which is, you know, go to a place where you're scared because then chemicals are flowing in your body that make you excited. Actually, That's advice
1: for both men and women? Yeah, uh-huh. of course.
6: Uh, because it does become— So if you go to, like— Halloween, you know, (laughs) something scary or a ballpark where there's a lot of energy going on. The energy stimulates yourself, gets your hormones going, and then you can fall in love with somebody. This was like a study. It was it was really interesting that they had people walk up. There was like uh, one partner, a guy over there and a woman over here, and they had them walk across a flat board on the ground. And then they put the board up six feet and then they'd ask people, how excited are you to meet that other person? So the, the end of the study was, what do you think?
1: Uh, very excited.
6: Very excited when the board was high. Right. What was it? Do- the, it was the same person, the same distance. Sure. Everything was the same. But the board was hot,
1: and you got that adrenaline yes, five absolutely. There you go. I get that oh that's the answer so um the other thing in that vein, first of all, it becomes very challenging if you're somebody that's working twelve, thirteen hours a day to then find the the time to go to places that are that are crowded. But let's say you're in a position to do that. <laughs> I've noticed particularly among younger folks these days, but not exclusively, even maybe some older folks. That the, there's such a movement towards online dating, dating through all these uh, apps, oh, yeah, that totally. they're much less I likely to really go up it. to a stranger I at know. a bar and offer to buy a drink or just start a conversation. And, and the I, person who's being approached is all of a sudden less likely to engage with that person because they haven't been vetted by the gods of <laughs> online dating apps. Uh, for everybody
6: who's listening... I am advising you to get off your phone. I am so sick of it. People do not know how to express their love because they're, they're on their phone all the time. And really, even when they're in bed, they've got their phone. I go to If I've gone to a club lately, people are like dancing by themselves and looking at their phone, not connecting to people. So please, everybody who's listening, put your phone away and learn how to talk sexy. Learn how to talk romantically. Learn how to express your feelings and communicate.
1: Give people one pro tip, right, that they can – if they're not, not um, confident in their own flirtatious banter, man, women, non-binary, whatever the case may be, what is something that uh, you can tell them that might get them a little more comfortable speaking in a way that they're not traditionally used to speaking?
6: Well, I think building your self-esteem is very important, and the way you do that is that you change your brain. You just snap when you have a bad feeling about yourself, oh, I'm too fat, or oh, I'm having a bad hair day, or whatever you're negatively saying about yourself. It's called thought stopping. You just snap your fingers, that's called a th- interrupt, or slap the side of your ha- your thigh, and... Put a better, happier thought in your mind. It sounds simple, but it works. It's like working your muscles of your brain so that you feel good about yourself. You wake up in the morning. Okay, this is a typical thing. And people look at themselves in the mirror and they're examining. And, oh, there's this wrinkle. Oh, my, you know, my like a sore on my lip. But, oh, whatever you're negatively saying. You just stop that thought immediately. Snap your fingers and put in a better thought. Good morning. You can have a great day. I love you. You look
1: fantastic. I, I think that's good advice. It, one of the things that I hear a lot, particularly from men, is they feel sometimes nervous approaching a woman or a person um, at, uh, that is a stranger, and they're not really sure how to begin a conversation they're not sure of a first thing to say obviously it's always easier when someone introduces you what would you say a con- to someone
6: a compliment always works notice something about the person say you noticed it and then ask them a question about it it could be as simple as saying that's that's a beautiful necklace where did you get it
1: uh, we're talking of people just tuning in with Dr. Judy Kuriansky, clinical psychologist, TV commentator, author, etc. You can check out her website, by the way, drjudy.com. That's drjudy.com. I want to ask you about one trend. I'm not even sure if it's a real trend or if it's just something that's gotten a lot of media attention. Uh, New York Post did See, this. You're such a good talker. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. Really?
6: I mean,. People could listen. To you. It's also thinking: Who do I really think is very cool and speaks very well? Let me listen to that person and like
1: imitate them. It's also though. I mean, we've known each other a long time. It's different if uh, people are listening to our conversation than if um, if they're listening to someone try to approach a stranger. You know, even me, it's tough to know the first thing to say to approach a stranger.
6: And you know what? The the even being self disclosure, we call it in psychology. Even saying, I'm so uncomfortable going up to talk to people, but I really just want to go up and talk to you. Self-disclosure like that always works. You should always use your feelings, share them, and it takes people aback. Oh, my God, this person is being really honest. Nobody's honest this day. Like, say what you really feel. Say what you really think. Be confident about that.
1: There is a new TLC show uh, called "Seeking Brother Husband," and the New York Post did a big article about it this weekend about a uh, a couple, Kenya and Carl Stevens, who'd been married for a dozen years. When um he confessed to his wife that he had feelings for a coworker, but rather than get angry with her husband, Kenya proposed that they go out for dinner as a trio. And they are apparently looking at, at this point at a polyamorous uh, relationship. At this point, these sort of relationships maybe they've always been around, but they've oh, certainly gotten polyamory a lot has of been attention. around
6: a long time. So where do you come down I on mean, the people,
1: question what you, of polyamory?
7: This
6: used to be where people were in the '60s, where it was free love. Now polyamory, it, there's a whole range of polyamory, right? And there's polyamory where people are just, you know, having an excuse to have sex with a lot of people. And then there are polyamory communities where people are, it's not about sex, it's about love. But in polyamory, one of the things I like about it is that it's very related to the concept of the goddess. So every woman who's listening needs to think of herself as a goddess. And every man, if you really want um, to make your female partner feel good, if you want a male partner, you make him a god, you know. And as a female partner, you just talk about her. You're my goddess. I, and there are words even for the genitalia that are related to,
1: you know, the jade stalk. But so uh, polyamory, you th- do you think it's becoming? <laughs> do you like that phrase? I like it actually. Do I you? like it a lot? Right. Um, you do you think it's becoming in the magic cave? <laughs> <laughs> Um, Do you think it's becoming more fashionable these days? I like that. (laughs) I like that. Why not? I may try that with Rachel. So, um, do you think polyamory is becoming more fashionable these days?
6: I more fashionable, or is it just getting more attention? I don't think so. I think people have been talking about a long time about being polyamorous and more love for everybody. That's the whole. That's the whole point of polyamorous communities. Big. In Hawaii, and big in California. Well, not so common in New York, because but behind closed doors.
1: Behind closed doors in places like New York. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
6: just not, not that open, but in, you can imagine in California and, and in Maui. No, like, Where, no I wanna, bet. And there are still people, look, I know them because I was in that whole world for such a long time in the world of sex. I, I mean, going to all the sex clubs for research, you know, the S&M clubs, they're all closed now. But this is what you had to know about what people were naturally, doing.
1: Naturally. Yeah, we're talking with Dr. Judy Kuriansky. If people have questions, we'll try and take a few of your calls at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Tell me what you're doing. You always get people to talk about things that
6: well, that's, hey, I, I, I think
1: also it's good for people but to know.
6: i never told anybody I went to
1: an S&M club. I, I, really? Uh, I, I think it's good for people to know that if they want to go to an S&M club, all they have to do is say it's for research and they can go <laughs> guilt free right. and nobody can give them a hard time. You are um, contributing to a magazine called Viva. How oh. do you know that? Well I've got a very very comprehensive research Well it used it's it's
6: it's not around
1: anymore Viva I
6: actually was on a TV show about Pam Anderson so I can't believe that you were talking about Pam Anderson that's like a whole thing and I have that tape originally and I'll get to Viva in a moment but Great. you got me on the Pam Anderson thing so I have the original because when I was on the radio was when when the whole uh, thing happened right. you know and and so I have the original tape. I found it when I was going on the TV show and the Penthouse magazine that she had to spread in. It was the most boring tape I've ever seen. I mean, seriously, you see her open her legs for like two seconds and it doesn't even get close. I mean, we teach when I've got done many, many years of teaching women how to have orgasm. And so it's a 10 session program of the different activities mm-hmm. that you do once a week. One of them is really looking at yourself, taking a mirror, opening your legs and examining yourself and really looking. And the same thing, as I said, you know, earlier about looking in the mirror and saying, oh, you're beautiful. So you have to look at yourself all over your body first, you know, and then look at your private parts and say they're beautiful. You know, I'm beautiful.
1: You know, speaking of the Pamela Anderson thing, so here she was on CBS Sunday morning a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about that whole situation with the uh, with the tape what do you want people to understand about it
6: that it was stolen property that it was two crazy naked people in love I mean we were naked all the time and filming each other and being silly but those tapes were not meant for anybody else to see and I've not seen it to this day it was very hurtful I was a mother that saved me you know if I wasn't a mom I don't think I would have survived. So Boring, boring, boring. Anybody who's listening and thinks they want to watch that tape or wants to go online and look it up, please. Really, your own life is a thousand (laughs) times more interesting. I'm serious. I was bored out of my mind. All you see is Tommy walking around swinging himself swinging his right. thing well, but it, it you know and it wasn't to be and, performed
1: for an audience right and
6: then once you see her going down on him um in a call in a truck in a sort of car truck you know and a couple of times she she does that uh, and you know so what yeah it's well- really not anything of interest so don't even worry about it, and she's still getting mileage out of it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they just came out with that Hulu series. Make own sex love. Actually, well, one of the things— Well, that's what they did, right? They was, made,
1: they'd made their own sex But, day. you
6: know, there was a big thing um, during the time when polyamory was really big uh, that there was homegrown sex videos. It was a big, like, thing for people to do, and there was actually a contest about it. I, I went to that, too. You're oh, getting I'm, me to say I, stuff I, I've never even said I, I love it. Okay, I'm... in Las Vegas, they had a convention of homegrown sex tapes and a, and a competition. So there was a winning couple.
1: I, 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 were you in a position to judge or you were just there <laughs> no, as a spectator? No, I, I,
6: was I in a position?
1: <laughs> Dr. Jody Kuriansky is Changing here. Changing
6: positions is actually one of the pieces of advice uh, in how to spice up your love life.
1: Uh, a lot of people are uh, eager to chat I thought I was going to talk about Iran. We well, I'm going
6: to ask and you about Iran. Ukraine uh, I, and Russia. We're going to get to all that. 800 848 9222. 800
1: 848 9222. Robert is in Maryland. Hello, Robert.
8: Oh, yes. Uh, I have uh, one of the books where you comment before every chapter,
6: and it's uh, Penthouse uh, <gasps> Magazine Unleashed Sex oh. Tips. Oh my God! I can't believe you have that,
1: Robert. Did you find it effective?
8: Wow. Well, I that was I think published in 2005, and um, wow. I still have my uh, pu- a girlfriend from uh, Great Neck. We went back together, but uh, we're kind of uh, subdued that way because we're um, old. But we go on cruises together, and we're coming you're old. on soon, okay? But... You're
6: old, Robert. Listen to this piece of advice. You never have to retire from sex.
8: Oh, no, no. I, I was in good shape from uh, running and rugby and tennis and all that. And That's good, but you read you know, Penthouse
6: you... Magazine. That's interesting.
8: Oh, yeah, of course. What uh, was your was favorite? Uh, uh, what was your
1: anything? favorite article?
8: <laughs> oh, uh, I don't remember. Uh, maybe <laughs> a bunch of couples uh, getting together.
1: All right, Robert. Thank you very <laughs> much one... for that. Uh, appreciate there, that. Oh,
6: hey. I did. I wrote. I wrote for Penhouse. So now that was the days. I that was also a senior research scientist at Columbia Medical School, and I also wrote for Penthouse Magazine. Wow. So that was like my head was in two different ways. You places. know,
1: and nobody has ever been able to accuse you of being, uh, being lazy or unproductive. That's for <laughs> That's you. 800 848 Joe is in Queens. Joe, you're on with Dr. Yeah, G. I
9: have two questions for uh, the professor. Uh, one would be, uh, okay, I, I talked to somebody that said, oh, I'm 6'3", and she's only five foot." He just ah. brings that up. But at the same time, Maybe the girl likes someone six something, and she's five foot, and he should leverage that and take advantage of it and see it from that perspective. That be that Joe, would be my question. Oh, absolutely,
6: yeah. but Joe, are you picturing that in your mind?
9: No, it's not. I'm just saying, you know. But I'm, you I'm not you
6: brought p- it up. You said you're talking about a tall guy and a short girl, and you, are you picturing how do they do it, right?
9: Uh not so How do much they sitting? Isn't that what you... them w- walking, walking?
6: Walking. Well, if you pictured yeah. them in having sex, w- what would right. you see?
9: Uh I'm not picturing that, but what do you see? Well, what do you see?
6: Well, what's the image in your mind?
9: Uh I don't what see What position what position are they in? Uh I guess the woman would would be the, the uh, uh the higher position.
6: Of the high, okay, nice. so if, if he were laying down and she was sitting on top of him, well, what difference does it make how short she is and yeah, how tall he is? excellent
1: point. Excellent point. As, as someone on the shorter end of things, I, uh, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Uh, Joe, did you have another quick comment?
9: Yeah, yeah, I had another quick thing. You, oh, you, you took know, us so to a good you place there, yeah. These people that are librarian types, but they're attracted to the wild and crazy types. Yes. Now, what, well, what'd you say about that? You know, I'd say it is,
6: it is opposites attract. People sometimes mm-hmm. look to fill in the things that they really want to be, that are their secret repressed feelings. So she's not able to be really uninhibited, and that's why she's looking for somebody who is that way. So that's, uh, that ends up being very exciting. And, and, and for, the, for the guy to be with the librarian is very interesting, too, because usually when that happens, he's, like, looking for a way to crack her open in some way. You know, let's oh. see if I can get to her and make her loosen up.
9: So, so it's like climbing that particular mountain basically. And well,
6: people always have a reason that they are attracted to that particular person. And it shows what you need in your life, what you want in your life, how to fill in pieces of yourself, uh, what your favorite fantasy is, your love story. We all have love stories. And you pick people who are in your own movie. I, I call it the movie of your love life, the movie of your sex life. What is it? Who are you? Are you like a Pam Anderson and... You know, Tommy Lee or are you like Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton? You know, we all – we create these partnerships that are just like movies and pick a partner who fits that role that you want in your
1: movie. Joe, thank you. Uh, before we get to foreign What's policy, your movie? I don't know. I and was trying to life. think as you were saying that. Um, I would say – I don't know. I – um I have to give that some thought. I want to come up with a good answer for that, and I will. <laughs> uh, but I'm not. I'm not sure what it is at the moment. Um, if, if people have questions, 800-848-9222. Before we get to what's happening around the world in foreign policy, I want to ask you about this. Obviously, it's the middle of the night or, the, or early morning, and a lot of the people that might be listening now, they find themselves living by their home by, by themselves, and I, they've written to me, they've emailed me, and called occasionally. A lot of people up right now listening to the radio. Are uh, lonely. Either their partner has passed away, Mm. or whatever circumstance in life has uh, brought them to a point where they're battling loneliness and depression. And that's one of the reasons they're keeping the radio on all day long, including at night. That's right. And please, absolutely, want everybody keeping their radio on. But um, is there any advice that you have for people on dealing with loneliness and loss, especially newfound loneliness? Oh, well, those
6: are two different things. Okay, so for loneliness, I have uh, two points of advice. One is be yourself and love being with yourself. Imagine, if you want to, that you are your best partner. Take yourself to the movies. Oh, we're going to the movies tonight. Isn't that going to be fun? I'm uh, creating people no, I think schizophrenic. That's great. I think that's you great know, advice. Right? Yeah, really. Oh, we're going to go out to dinner. What would you like to eat? Oh, I think I'd like um, French food tonight. Okay? That's love being with you. I love being by myself. I, I, really, I totally enjoy being by myself i love being with people too but i i love going places myself i can walk in the street and enjoy it do anything I, so that's number one and number two if
1: you're lonely good gracious go out and do something i don't, with know, if you've, I don't know if you've ever done this but do you ever <laughs> you ever type in a phrase into google and before you click enter it just brings you what other people are searching for. It, it's a, an autofill, basically. It, it, you type in, say, Frank Marano or Judy Kuriansky, and it fills out what what it's suggesting as a search term. Like if I just type in Judy Kuriansky into Google oh, and don't oh click enter, it it's say? the first thing that comes up is Judy Kuriansky, Wikipedia, Judy Kuriansky, Meghan Markle. Judy, oh, Dr. oh my Jude. God!
6: I slammed her. Oh my God! I was so worried. They uh, they called me for a National Enquirer or one of them. By the way, there's some whatever you think about those kind of magazines. There's a lot of interesting stuff, news in there. I mean, seriously, I. I You can learn a lot Uh, about UFOs if you want to know Uh, about UFOs and stories about that.
1: The Inquirer actually didn't do as much UFO coverage as I would have liked, but (laughs) other people that use it. But anyway, Justine and
6: Star. I mean, they're both companions, and they have stories like that. And they, um, I mean, you could find out what's going on in the. in all the celebrities' world.
1: Justine Bateman, uh, who was on Family Ties with right. Michael J. Fox back in the day, she did that with her name. She's typing in her name. She's fifty-seven years old. Wasn't a famous actress back mean, in the eighties. Yeah, I remember. And she types in her name, Justine Bateman, and the first suggested autofill that comes up for right. her is "looks old." Okay. Ooh, that's ugly. And she's fifty-seven oh, and that's she has intentionally wow. not had uh, any work done. And she wow. has since this happened, she has been voicing her disdain for society's definition of modern beauty. She even wrote a book, Face One Square Foot of Skin, in twenty twenty one. And basically, as she talked about this with sixty wow. minutes Australia, this is what okay. she said. Okay. And I'm curious if you think this is good advice for All other right. women or other people okay. as they age.
7: Well, when you say, is
10: there beauty in aging, aren't you really saying, do you think it's possible for other people to find aging beautiful? And like, I just don't give a shit. Like, I think I look rad. I think
1: my face represents who I am. Uh, I like it. And she doesn't look like, her face these days doesn't like look like what most Hollywood stars that are on magazine covers look like. And I love that well, she's proud of that. Changing it. Yeah, but, that, right. And, but, but, you know. and she has not gotten any work done. I, is this a healthy attitude that she has? So
6: totally. I mean, what what's really interesting to me about what you just played and what you're presenting is that you can turn anything around. So it was the best thing that ever happened to her that somebody called her old. She's turned it into a business. She wrote a book about it. She's She's now relevant people are interested in her you're talking about her why would you ever be talking about her on the radio except for the fact that somebody slammed her so my point from a psychological point of view is always turn something to your advantage
1: something you think is bad is good can you stick around a few minutes? We want to talk Iran, Russia, Ukraine, Malaysia. Okay. Can you stick around? Sure. Okay. We're going to talk with Dr. Judy Kariatsky in a moment. We'll try and squeeze in a few more of your questions as well. 800 848 This is The uh, Other Side of Midnight. 800 Straight ahead.
5: The Other Side of Midnight. midnight.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. Uh, Frank Marano here with Dr. Judy Kuriansky. You can check out her website, including, which has a lot of links to her books and other work, at drjudy.com. Just drjudy.com. She's a best-selling author, clinical psychologist, and more. You have traveled all over the world uh, many times over. Uh, Many times over. Another – the whole world is watching the situation with Russia and the war in Ukraine. You've been actually working with some Russians who've been doing what exactly? I've been working with Russians, Ukrainians, Iranians, uh,
6: the the whole – everybody. I've been to Iran a couple of times. That was really wild.
1: I can imagine. It really
6: was. Um, people said, you know, that's crazy. Did Don't you have go to there. Wear a hijab? Yeah, yeah, sure.
1: Oh, definitely.
6: Yeah. Uh, no question about it. And covered, you know, covered mm-hmm. up, not not uh, revealing. Uh, but I went there, um, and actually, it was very interesting because there was uh, the first time I went, I was really well-known about sex. And so they created an event for me to talk about sex and sex advice in, in, a, in, in a restaurant. Well, they closed a the restaurant and then a magazine did it. So that, I, I mean, the point is people are people all over. They have the same questions. There was a, a man who stopped me in the hall of a hospital and I was visiting there and said, oh, how long is a man supposed to last in sex? Well, come on. That's like a typical question everybody would have. Why wouldn't somebody in Iran have it? Next time I went there was um a, a, it was. An earthquake in the, in Iran in a place called Kerman You had to go from Tehran to on an airplane, and I worked with the um, the Red Cross youth group there. And you know, people are beautiful. They're, How it's long very is a man different. supposed to
1: last? By the way, in case people are curious. Well,
6: you you can you can suck your energy up, and you can last longer. You just have to learn to breathe. As soon as you reach the point of inevitability, it's called where it's inevitable. You can feel. I'm not a guy, but I know right. what sure. from a, as a sex therapist what what that sound what that feels like for guys, where you just feel like oh that's it I'm going to lose it. You just
1: and you cover that in your book, by the way, "Completely It's Guide to Tantric Sex." That's true. Right, it's people it's, it's a technique
6: out. of tantric sex, um, uh, which this has a lot to do with the polyamory world that we were talking about before. But so the, you know, in Iran, most people, everybody wherever I got into a taxi wherever I was, can you get my kids to America? Nobody wants to live there. Mm. It's very different, you know, the government versus anything. And Russia, I used to go to Russia. I am Russian. I mean, not, I didn't. My Those are my grandparents. So uh, I actually, they were from um, a, a place that's, that's actually now in Ukraine. So that was weird. They were constantly talking about it, and I thought it was in Russia, but it's now in Ukraine. Anyway, the, the Russian people are beautiful. They do a lot of things for disabled people. They're very, very conscious about that. It's just people are different from the government. You know, And the just,
1: United States as well, obviously.
6: Well, sure. I mean, and then now I've been working for, since the Ukrainian war, uh, since the Russians invaded Ukraine, I've been, uh, you know, I've been all over the world. And I usually go there the day after a crisis happens. But this time... It this was the only time I didn't go because people said there were going to be bombs. I was supposed to go to Kiev, and there was a bomb in Kiev that, that next day. So that was crazy. But I am going to do a training for a um, for a, a hospital in Kiev. Oh. Um,
1: when and when, are you, when is that going to be? It's
6: going to be in oh, two weeks, and oh. it's going to be for again a group that is taking care
1: of disabled. That's vets terrific
6: because everybody is disabled now.
1: Judy, um, it always flies by whenever you're in studio. Let's do this again soon. Okay. Uh, Dr. Judy Kuriansky, check out her work at drjudy.com. You can also find uh, her books on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Hey, it's a big day today. I'll tell you why in just a moment. And Gerald Salente is going to be here. We'll talk a little bit more foreign policy, uh, banking, finance, a whole bunch of other things. A lot more to come on the other side of Midnight until next hour. It's a big day today, a big day indeed, because even though it happens every year, there's still something, at least to me, pretty special about it. That's right. Uh, today is opening day for Major League Baseball. Now, I, I really like baseball. Uh, to, to, as a fan, I, I really, really enjoy watching baseball every form of baseball, minor league baseball, independent league baseball, and major league uh, baseball. When I was a child, I think this is the case for many children over the years, although that does seem to be changing to some extent, I was an obsessive baseball fan. I mean, just obsessive. And it dominated almost every waking thought that I had. First thing that I would do in the morning is run to get the newspaper And uh, analyze and break down all the box scores from the previous day. Then I would just spend all the time analyzing statistics and watching when baseball games weren't on. Uh, I would spend all this time watching videos and documentaries about baseball history. Through the years, obviously, in part just because you find different interests over time in life. I do not have the same level of obsessive baseball fandom that I did a couple of decades ago, but uh, I still really enjoy it. And to me, there's nothing more magical than opening day for a baseball fan, even if you haven't necessarily followed baseball that closely over the years. Additionally, um, except maybe the playoffs, the playoffs maybe come a close second, but This is going to be a very interesting year when it comes to baseball because there's a number of changes. Now, let's talk a little bit about what's different this year. One of the things that's different is for the first time ever in history, every baseball team is going to play every other baseball team. So there are 30 baseball teams, professional, uh, major league baseball teams, for the first time... You will be able to see your team play all 29 other teams, which on the one hand is pretty exciting. But I do think, especially with what we've seen with the National League adopting the designated hitter rule, I do think that this leads to sort of an erosion of the the distinctions between the leagues, the American League and the National League it used to be very clear that you were watching a National League game or an American League game. Different pace, different strategy. Um, In National League, you'd see a lot more pinch hitters, obviously. You'd see a lot more um, uh, things like a hit and run. And I remember when Joe Torre, uh, who had been the manager of the Mets, he had been the manager of the Cardinals. um, When he came over to the Yankees, everyone made a big deal that, oh, he's bringing that National League brand of ball. And the fact is that was true. Uh, there was a National League way of playing. These days, I don't think there is. I think, honestly, especially with interleague play, the universal DH, everything else, I think there has been a an, an almost complete erosion of the distinctions between the two leagues, as far as I'm concerned. So um that being said that's one thing that we're we'll watch that we're going to be watching the fact that every team is going to play every other team additionally there are three big rules changes this year that are going to change the game quite a bit from what you've been seeing by far the biggest one is the uh, the pitch clock pitchers will now have 15 seconds to begin their motion with the bases empty and 20 seconds with a runner on. If they don't, they will be assessed a ball. And batters not in the box by the 8-second mark will receive a strike. I'm not crazy about this rule, but I'm hoping that it works. In The goal is to speed up the game, and the goal is to get young people to fall in love with the game again. Truth be told, it's very rare, even for me, a big-time Met fan, to watch a full baseball game from start to finish. I'll keep it on while I'm doing things, but it's very rare to watch a full and complete baseball game, unless you're at the ballpark itself from start to finish. Even if you're at the ballpark, you, you, especially with a child, you're walking them around, you're you're going to the concession, you're doing all sorts of things. You're not necessarily watching every pitch of every game. And I think the goal is, one of the things that we've seen with Major League Baseball is while there's still a lot of fans the fans of Major League Baseball are older than any of the other major sports. So the, there's this constant quest by Major League Baseball to get more younger people invested in the game, watching the games, paying attention to the game, and sports betting has been part of that. That's part of the reason why all these professional leagues, including Major League Baseball, are all for sports betting. You turn on the baseball game, what's, what do you see? You see an ad for DraftKings, FanDuel, this sports betting app, that sports betting app. So I I don't like these new rules, but I do hope that they work in speeding up the game and making the game more attractive to younger folks. A pitcher is also limited to two pickoff attempts, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. And if you throw over to first base in a pickoff attempt a third time— the pitcher is assessed a balk. I think that is a total joke, but we'll see. I'm going to watch these games with an open mind. The other thing which I'm a little ambivalent about, and if you want to comment on uh, baseball season starting or any of these new changes that we're seeing launching this year, you're welcome to do so at eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. The eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 is there's a new ban on what they call the defensive shift. I have always hated these defensive shifts where the third baseman is playing behind where the second baseman is supposed to be. The shortstop is in the outfield and everyone's all out of whack. So all four infielders must have both feet on the infield dirt or grass when the pitcher begins his motion and each team must have two infielders on each side of second base. A violation results in a ball, or the batting team can let the play stand. The other thing uh, that they've been experimenting with in the minor leagues, and I'm curious to see if this has any difference in play, is they're having bigger bases. They say this is done with the goal of decreasing collisions at first, pl- first base and stimulating more infield hits and stolen bases. All three bases are increasing in size to 18 inches square from 15 inches. They're also reducing the distance between first and second base and uh, second and third base by four and a half inches. So you're going to see a lot more stolen bases this year, and I would guess you're going to see a lot more triples than you used to see. So we'll see where uh, where that that goes baseball has been criticized for having long games without enough action. Two years ago, 2021, an average game set a record at three hours and 11 minutes. Now I would point out, in fact, I think I did point out that you could shorten those games if you did away with the designated hitting hit rule, but they're never going to allow that to happen. The players union wants it because it allows older players to stay in the game longer creating a lot more jobs and a lot more opportunities for their members. And a lot of the fans like it because there's more offense, there's more home runs, that kind of a thing. So um, it's it's very interesting to see, will will these new rules work? The pitch clock, they say in the minor leagues when they did this, it shortened the average game by 25 minutes. So we'll see where it goes. Bigger bases shorter pitch clock or a pitch clock limits on the number of pickoff attempts and every team is playing every other team. What do you think about this? Are you excited? And, you know, I'd be curious also if you're someone like me who used to be either in your youth or in your young adulthood or at any point in your life, if you used to be an obsessive baseball fan and then gradually either because of things that have been going on in your own life or the changes that have gone on in baseball itself, whether it's the steroid scandal, whether it's um, you know anything else in baseball, the 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 baseball strike, wh- whether it's the um, the players changing teams so often, the way I change socks, that you become a little bit less of enthusiastic of a fan. For those people, for people that used to be big baseball fans and are now sort of eh, casual baseball fans. I'm curious if you still get the same sort of excitement that I do when it comes to opening day because I'm very much looking forward today the Mets are playing in Florida um I believe they're playing at four o'clock Eastern uh, and uh they're playing the uh playing the Marlins the Miami Marlins formerly known as the Florida Marlins the Yankees are playing the San Francisco Giants at home, and the uh, Baltimore Orioles are playing the Red Sox at in Boston. You know, I've been to Camden Yards in Boston, but it was during the baseball strike 29 years ago, so I didn't get to see a game. I have wanted to go back, and I'm hoping maybe this summer my wife and I can make a field trip there and go back, but it's a beautiful ballpark, Camden Yards, and they have in Camden Yards, at least they did 29 years ago, and I'm assuming it's still there sort of a mini green monster, just like what they have at uh, Fenway Park. So I'm sure a lot of Oriole fans will, to some extent, feel at home, even watching the uh, Orioles take on the Red Sox. Now, somebody going to see the the Yankee game today for the opening day uh, is none other than our own Kenneth. Kenneth, are you going as a, as a fan or are you going as a um, sports journalist? Huge fan. And yet, you it's an afternoon game, which is, yes. which is, which is great. I love afternoon games. Uh, but you are actually taking off tomorrow night from your paying job to be at a game in the afternoon. Yes, sir. What, what, what gives? Why are you doing that? Well, because, Frank, I'm going to have to go to my friend's house after I get out of here, sleep on his couch for about three or so hours, three, four hours, start heading out to the game at like 1030, you know, get to the bar over there in the Bronx, and uh, it could very well be a full day of uh, drinking and baseball. Okay, right? well, I can understand that. Hey, so are do you, you don't, are you just, you have regular seats? How are your seats? They are the Bleacher Creature seats. Oh, great. That's fun. Those <laughs> so are the I'm people stoked. you want to watch the game with. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and, well, that's fun. Was it tough to get seats in the Bleachers for opening day? No, we, we got them last week on, I think it was SeatGeek, and it wasn't that
7: hard. I mean, they went for like $100. And then, like with the fees, it was like one forty-five a ticket, which is kind of steep for the bleachers, but I mean, it is opening day.
1: All right, well, that's going to be fun. And for uh, those of you like me who are fans of the um, of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, their opening day is going to be on uh, Friday. Their home opener, anyway. Uh, I believe they open on the road, but their home opener is going to be Friday. April uh 28th. So that's uh, no that's their, that is their opening day as well. It's not just a home opener. So that's going to be uh exciting and um, uh, I I was at a bunch of Ferry Hawks games over the over the summer and it was it's just wonderful and I think they've made a lot of improvements this year as well. And uh, they're playing the Charleston Dirty Birds in their opening day, which should be a lot of fun. And I also still go to a lot of Brooklyn Cyclones games, and uh, I really like minor league baseball as well. Their opening day is going to be um, in—actually, I think they, they open next week, I think. I have to double check. Yeah, April 7th. Uh, versus the versus Jersey Shore, so that's something. eight ninety two twenty two. Chris is in Yonkers. Hello, Chris. Yes. Good morning. I have a,
11: a question that I can't seem to get answered about the new rules. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I think I think they're worth a try. You got to shorten the game. You got to shorten the dead time. Okay. But um, the ghost rule, the, the ghost runner uh, in F, uh, extra innings, has that been? Uh, Change
1: No, game? unfortunately not. It's still there.
11: It is still there. Oh, I hate that. That is I I do not like that.
1: Now I I don't like it either, but and, and that's why I really question the wisdom of the commissioner Rob Manford. But I'm curious, Chris. The goal of that rule is to make sure that these games don't go eighteen innings. If goal... Yes, I
11: know, but you get, you, you're giving you're giving away uh, potentially uh, the game by putting somebody on second with no outs. I, mean...
1: I, I, I agree, Chris, but uh, I mean you're advocating for shorter games. That rule is done for shorter games.
11: Well, not necessarily shorter games, okay, but games that that uh, where at least you have action, okay. There's nothing wrong with extra innings, for example, as long as. As long as the game is is moving, okay. There's nothing I'm with wrong you. With...
1: I'm with you, Chris. Oh, who, right. wh- what's your baseball team, Chris? Who you who do you root for? Well, I'm a
11: traditionally a Mets and Yankee fan. Um, you
1: root for uh, both?
11: Kinda, yeah. I mean, when I was in high school, uh, the Mets were coming up and everything in '69. It was really, you know, exciting and everything. You know, World Series and and all well that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Yankees tradition, I mean, the names, you can't get better names.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. And um, well, the Yankees have some problems with injuries this year. But good luck to you. And, uh, look, the Mets are no no walk in the park when it comes to injuries either, Be after what happened with Edwin Diaz. But uh, we'll see what happens. It's going to be an interesting season. I think both teams in the New York area are going to do very well, honestly. 800-848-9222. Mark is in Baltimore. Mark, what's on your mind?
12: How are you? Oh, by the way, there's not a bad seat at Oriole Park. When you come to Baltimore, let me know, and I will. Uh, I'll meet you at the game. It's a great stadium, and I agree with everything that you've said. It's been a bit of great show, an electric, an electric show. Speaking of electric, I was going to comment on the Rainbow Song. And I, I think love he the means song, eclectic, I love Miley Cyrus, electric. I love Dolly Parton, and by like the way, word, the rainbow, uh, by definition, displays all the visible colors in the color spectrum, and so, like your show, it's very electric, I have nothing wrong with rainbow, rainbows or the song.
1: Electric. Uh, thank you, Mark, I will call you when I am in Baltimore.
12: Very good, sir, thank you, A great show, by the thank way. Thank you
1: very much. Do not even think of going to sleep. Do not even ponder changing the channel, because love him or hate him, you are going to want to be glued to my conversation with Gerald Salente in 60 seconds. Gerald Salente is one of the most informed, informative, entertaining, energetic, and passionate individuals you will ever hear on radio, television, or in in person, or anywhere else. The man is incredible, and he's going to join us straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Over the last decade or so, I have had the privilege of interviewing the gentleman that you're about to hear on a wide variety of subjects, and usually... I will introduce him somehow as the madcap prophet who ends up predicting everything correctly, not based on astrology, not based on uh, divine uh, visions or anything like that, but based on analysis and data. These days, though... The title that he seems to be wearing most proudly is the Prince of Peace because he has become one of the most steadfast advocates in the Western Hemisphere for peace instead of war. Let me welcome once again the founder of the Trends Research Institute and the publisher of the Trends Journal, Gerald Salente. Gerald, it is a great treat to talk with you as always, my friend.
3: Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Frank. Uh,
1: let's begin with the new Trends Journal. It's out. The front page of it is sort of a weird photo of Uncle Sam. Uh, Uncle Sam with sort of a distorted face. Very interesting artwork. And it says, America, no peace, only war. For people that haven't read it yet, and we do hope they'll check it out, give us an idea of what the key takeaways are in the latest edition of the of the Trends Journal.
3: Well, you know, well, the magazine, of course, you know, it's filled with uh, socioeconomic and geopolitical trends analysis and trend forecasts. And the cover, I mean, is illustrating, uh, you know, one of our sayings is the 20th century was the American century and the 21st century is going to be the Chinese century because the business of America is war and the business of China is business. I mean, the countless, countless trillions of dollars that the United States has spent on war and the military-industrial complex since the end of World War II is incalculable. Meanwhile, China has their Belt and Road Initiative, you know, becoming the new IMF, the International Monetary Fund, you know, and, and so... They're growing and we're declining. I mean, you go to China, you look at their infrastructure, and you compare it to the third-world rotten infrastructure that America has. And all America does is talk about war. Here, you here you have again. Not these are just data, as you said. We only go by data. 64% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And what did we do already? Sent over a hundred. And 15 billion dollars to Ukraine since the war began last February. I mean, you know, where, where is the outrage? And 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 people, you know, there's 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 hardly any fight back. How dare you? Don't want to go support them. So here, you see, I people hate me for this. I am an American patriot. I believe in the founding fathers who fought for our freedom and all the morons and imbeciles who are too stupid to read George Washington's farewell address, a real man, not like these little boys playing president that couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag, the cat that crossed the Delaware, you that Washington, (laughs) his farewell address... Warning the American people do not come involved in any foreign entanglements, particularly in Europe, because this crap has been going on for centuries. Well,
1: what does George Washington know? He was only around in the uh, 18th century. How about a more modern five-star general? What about someone like uh, General Eisenhower? What did he have to say on the subject?
3: Yeah, of course, you know, his farewell address, warning the American people. That the military-industrial complex is robbing the nation of the genius of the scientists, the sweat of the laborers, and the future of the children. I mean, this is a guy, again, he hated war because he saw it. And, and it, again, the, the speech is what? January 17, 1961. And another guy, John F. Kennedy. You read his uh, speech to the graduating students at American University, June 1963. It's all about peace. And he talks about the Soviet Union back then. How, you know, they were, they were, they were you know, blah, 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 blah. But he said no country suffered more in World War II than the Soviet Union. His words, over 20 million were killed. Operation Barbarossa, the Russians, they lost their land equivalent and, you know, factories, homes equivalent to Chicago, to the East Coast. Kennedy then goes on to say that, you know, these are, you know, we can't hate these people. He said, you know, they're very intellectually uh, experienced, blah, 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 blah. And he said, if we go to war with them, the world, we will be wiped. The world will be destroyed in 24 hours. He talks about peace. He says America will not go to war again. This is in June of 1963. By November, Jack, you're dead. And eight months later, Americans are at war in Vietnam.
1: So you do believe the theory that uh, Kennedy was killed because he would have de-escalated rather than escalated the situation in Indochina?
3: Absolutely, because he was also he was also going to be pulling out the uh, the uh, the CIA and the other the other uh, uh, soldiers that were there, the, the advisors. And you talked about Indochina, isn't that a nice name? Indo French Indochina. <laughs> oh, you, know, you mean the French were there? Oh, we were only stealing their rubber and their and their tin. You know, you go back, you you know, I, I, you know. I, I, I just Googled it up. Anybody can Google it up. Uh, United States uh, sanctions on Japan, 1941. Franklin Delano Roosevelt put sanctions on Japan in July of 1941. You know why? They had the nerve to invade French Indochina, and they took over Cameron Air Force Base, which was only 600 miles. This is in this is history today, an establishment, you know, uh, uh, publication. They were 600 miles from the United States bases in the Philippines. What are we doing in the Philippines? And what are the French doing in Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam? Oh, they're stealing their rubber, their tin, and enslaving the people. And and they seized Roosevelt seized all the Japanese assets. And then the British and the and the and the Dutch put sanctions on Japan where they lost three quarters of their trade and 88 percent of their imported oil, and Japan only needs 100 percent of imported oil. Uh,
1: Joe, for people that have not heard our previous conversations on Ukraine, a lot of very well-meaning people, right? And I mean that sincerely on both sides of the aisle— They believe that by supporting Ukraine, either in terms of direct aid or in terms of allowing them to have access to American weaponry or any variety of aid that they ask for that Biden and Republicans in Congress then go along with. It's one of the few bipartisan issues in Washington these days is giving Zelensky and Ukraine whatever they request. but. A lot of folks view America standing with Ukraine as standing up to Putin and authoritarianism, and they view the situation as very cut and dry. Putin is a bloodthirsty autocrat that uh, that invaded a sovereign, free country, and the United States has to stand up for Ukraine because it would send a very poor message to the world if someone like Putin is able to get away with this. Why is that logic, which I think still, even though the numbers are starting to shift, we'll talk about that, why is that logic, which I think is still the conventional wisdom, why is that flawed?
3: Because they have no idea about the, the whole situation, that why it happened. Again, why write a magazine, you only put the facts in it? You go back to our, uh, when the mag- is the, the Trends Journal is now a weekly, it used to be a monthly going back to um, 2014. An article written by Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, Former Assistant Treasury Secretary under Ronald Reagan, detailing the United States overthrow of the democratically elected government of Viktor Yanukovych in Ukraine, and anybody could go to Google and put in Victoria Newland, December uh, 2013, Washington D.C. This is the Undersecretary of State, who along with John McCain. Uh, was uh, passing out cookies in Maidan Square. But going back before that, as the revolution started to happen in 2014, what happened was uh, uh, again, these are the facts. The European Union had called, uh, had noted that Ukraine was the most corrupt country in Europe. They needed money since the breakup of the Soviet Union. They were making a deal with the IMF and the EU under Yanukovych. And Putin said, listen, I got a better deal for you. I'll give you lower interest rates, and I'll cut your oil prices. And uh, Yanukovych said, yeah, we'll go with you. No, you won't. The United States launched the coup. The facts are right there. And, and they have no idea of the, what the agreement made between Gorbachev and Bush Sr. that, quote, NATO would not move one inch further. So if we had Russia up in Canada and the Chinese down in Mexico, we'd be very happy. There were 16 NATO countries. Now there are 30. And the Minsk agreement, when the war broke out, and people have no idea that the Ukrainians killed over 14,000 people in the Russian sector of Ukraine. Which again, this has been going back and forth. It was Khrushchev that brought Ukraine to a, a, another country. It was it was part of the Soviet Union. And and yeah, people have no idea about the the land dispute, the border disputes going on for centuries.
1: Let me uh, let me ask you as well about what we're seeing in the Middle East. Obviously, this is a very big month and that it's the 20th anniversary of the Iraq war. And just now is the Congress getting around to rescinding the authorization to go to war in Iraq, which uh, president after president and administration after administration has used as their defense for going wherever they want in terms of the Middle East with respect to military adventurism. Now we see things heating up in in Syria. Matt Gates introduced a resolution to withdraw American troops. Troops from Syria. This was another situation where you had very strange bedfellows: the most liberal Democrats partnering with the most conservative Republicans to vote for it. It still wasn't enough to pass in the House of Representatives, and we still have troops in Syria, and things seem to be heating up with these Iranian-backed militias in Syria. Give me your view on the uh, Syria situation and how the United States plays into that, Gerald.
3: I. Right. All right, I'll, I'll do that, but I also want to make a something clear. How dare Russia have this, this border dispute with, with Ukraine and America bringing freedom and democracy? You talked about the Iraq War that they lied us into about weapons of mass destruction, that I had Phil Giraldi, one of the top CIA guys, one of the top guys that went into George W. Bush's office. And said, Mr. President, here are the facts. There are no weapons of mass destruction. Giraldi was one of the speakers at my rally last year, the, the Occupy Peace Rally. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Bush said to Giraldi, leave the office. And Giraldi quit. This is a top CIA guy. Scott Ritter, one after another. And then America's talking about Russia. Oh, you love that Afghan war, huh? (laughs) We're going to get that guy, Osama bin Laden, dead or alive. Oh, wasn't that a beauty? America condemning Russia? And now you're talking about Syria? Oh, we got that guy that's playing our Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin? Oh, what was his last job? Oh, sitting on the board of directors of Raytheon? The largest defense contractor saying America's going to be staying in Syria? What right do we have to be in Syria? Shut up, Salenti. We're stealing their oil. You think we would have invaded Iraq if their major export was broccoli? That's why America's over there. Oh, and those Iranian militants, as you call them, you mean Syrian government run by Assad who invited the Iranians there with the Russians to help them fight the group that's trying to overthrow them. Those militants that America just bombed a couple of weeks ago. What are we doing in Syria? And you're talking about the Russians in Ukraine. Wait, where the hell is the media? They're a bunch of little cowards that are nothing more than prostitutes. They're they're they're. Media whores who get paid to put out by their corporate pimps and their government whore masters. If you talk about peace, if you talk about facts that Washington does not want you to talk about, you are banned.
1: It's no secret, Gerald, that I agree with almost everything you just said there on the on the foreign policy front, and specifically as it relates to Ukraine and as it relates to the Middle East, but. Uh, I do wonder if the mood of the public is finally starting to change. i have starting to see a couple of opinion polls a year into this war that a lot of Americans, Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever, they're starting to get a little frustrated with just sending endless gobs of money, which never seem to be accounted for, to Ukraine, a notoriously corrupt country. I know you're a man of the people. You talk with a lot of different folks, reach a lot of different people on your YouTube channel are you getting the sense that the mood of the public is starting to shift in this country
3: it's starting to shift but not strongly there's not a lot of there's not look what's going on in France look what's going on in Israel with millions and millions of people taking to the streets month after month week after week day after day you don't get that over here the fight's gone in this country there are very few people out there, and 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 again, you mentioned about what Gans did with that. You know, so few people voted to support it, and 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 it's it it, it 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 it's so sad as I see it that this country has become what it has. We're going down so hard and so fast. And again, the middle class, by the way, has shrunk from. 61 percent in 1970 to 50 percent today, and the country's going down in every way—spiritually, morally, economically. Look at the crime going on. Look what's going. Look at the filth on the street, the homeless situations we have, and where, where we're involved with sending. What is the the last budget? 100 and what? 58 billion dollars for the defense contractors. Right and 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 then when you put the the you put the intel quote intelligence like a thing like homeland security they made up with 911 you're over a trillion dollars
1: And look, uh, Gerald, in the uh, 20 years that I've known you and in the 12 years or so that we've been doing radio interviews, never once have I ever heard you say whatever problem you were describing, whatever prognostication you were offering, whatever dire prediction you were uh, describing, I've never once heard you say... In order to avoid X, you need to vote for Y. And that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed about you. You describe yourself as a political atheist, but I've never known you to be a political evangelist that says, vote for this person and then things will change. However, on the Ukraine situation and on the issue of the military-industrial complex more broadly, there does seem to be some candidates that are advocating de-escalation and some candidates advocating advocating for escalation so I know a lot of your view has kind of always been essentially it doesn't matter it's all part of the same um, you know the same two, two wings on the same bird of prey but isn't this a situation where the stakes are so high that it does matter who people vote for in elections
3: if, if there is really a candidate that really stands up for the freedom of Americans America first in in the, in the truest sense yes. You know, the, the, the Occupy Peace Movement that, that I launched almost a decade ago, it's very simple. We got over 800 uh, bases overseas in, in about it was 700 bases in about 80 countries. Bring, close the bases down. What are we doing in Germany and Italy and all over the world, in Japan, and, and secure the homeland with the troops and put these guys and women to work rebuilding our third world infrastructure? And if you want to go to war, let the people vote. We're the ones that pay for the, the war with our money and our lives. I mean, look at these little guys shooting their mouth off all the time. A little Chucky Schumer, a, 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 a Lindsey Graham. These guys, could, again, they couldn't fight the way out of a paper bag. And they call for war, war, war. Anybody that wants to go support a war in another country, put on your military drag, take your money, take your family, and, and go, go. But don't tell me as an American who believes in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Founding Fathers, to do this. It's one lie after another. What's your favorite war? How about that little slime ball Woodrow Wilson that got into World War One? Oh, that wonderful guy that gave us the Federal Reserve, that gave us federal income tax, that gave us the the IRS, oh, and World War One. Look at the clown show running. It's a freak show.
1: If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Gerald Salente. He is the founder of the Trends Research Institute, publisher of the Trends Journal, founder of the Occupy Peace Movement. You can learn more about the Trends Journal and some of the trends that he's predicting at trendsresearch.com. Also, a lot of great writing on there as well. Uh, Gerald, last item on the peace front, and then I want to ask you a little bit about the economy and what we're seeing in the banking sector. And in some ways, I think maybe the two will are linked. But uh, you are having another one of these great peace rallies on May 27th in Kingston, New York. That's certainly where I'd like to be. What are you hoping to achieve with these peace rallies, and uh, what's the purpose of it? What message are you trying to send to the, to the public and to the world?
3: The message is to what you had said. The people are getting fed up with this, and I want to unite the people that are fed up with us and call for peace and start listening to us. We have to wind down the military-industrial complex. Again, you mentioned Dwight D. Eisenhower, five-star general, supreme commander of the allied forces in World War II, and two-term president. We have to rebuild this country, and I'm doing everything I can. I put my money where my heart, my soul, my, and my spirit are, and I believe that we can make this happen. And where we have the rally, I own three of the most historic buildings in America— in Kingston was the first capital of New York State. The British burnt it down. And the more, over 70 percent of the Constitution that was written here for New York State can, is America's Constitution. And I own three pre-Revolutionary War stone buildings. It's the only place in America with pre-Revolutionary War stone buildings on each corner, and that's where we're having it. So the seeds of democracy were sown here, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, I wouldn't be me, as I say, you know, I'm, I'm a lucky guy, I'm a Napolitano born in the Bronx. If I was born in Alta Villa Pino, Vico, Quentin, Italy, I wouldn't be me. So I, I have the American spirit of being who I am, and I don't want anybody, and nobody is going to, take it away from me. All
1: right. Uh, let's talk about what's happening here in the United States with respect to the banking sector. We've seen SVB in California fail. We've seen Signature Bank shut down by regulators. Uh, through it all, the Federal Reserve keeps raising interest rates to break the back of inflation and yet consumer prices tend to keep going up. Uh, Give me your take, Gerald. Are we going to see more banks fail? And what does this mean, the combination of inflation, interest rate hikes and failing banks for the future of the American economy?
3: We are facing the most critical economic crisis in modern history. Everybody forgot that they artificially popped up the economy to fight the COVID war by pumping in trillions of dollars and bringing interest rates down to zero. They created a fake bubble, so you got to remember that. Now, going on with the banks, the Silicon Bank is, is an example of what's going to happen because what no one's talking about, or virtually anyone is, and when they do, they don't bring it into the full category of it, There's going to be a commercial office building bust the likes of which we've never seen. You have an office occupancy rate in the United States, according to Castle with a K, of about 50.4%. So now you have all the leases coming up now. People are not renewing them. They're taking much, much less office space. And now they're starting to default on their office buildings already. They do they doing it they've done it in uh, in Los Angeles, and it's really going to start escalating. and 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 most of the banks are mid-sized banks that have these loans. So you're going to start seeing defaults like we've never seen before. And then what no one else is talking about as well is that when I talk about an office occupancy rate, and you have – in New York City, it's about 47.5 percent. All the businesses that once upon a time depended on commuters, they're not getting them anymore. So there's no happy hours anymore. Friday, by the way, is the least work day. So this is really serious. We're going to – and now that you've talked about raising interest rates, and then we've got to go back to these loans that they're going to be defaulting on, they have kind of a revolving loan with these things. So as interest rates go up, they have to pay more on their debt. And then you talk about the debt – go interest rates going up. How about the country's debt? You have to pay more on that. So here's the story. No one knows what they're going to do when they meet in May the Federal Reserve, and the guess on Wall Street is they're going to keep interest rates at – they're not going to raise them. They're going to keep them where they are and then they're going to lower them. Here is the big trend forecast that we're going to that we've made. When they start lowering interest rates, you're going to see the death of the dollar. The death of the dollar is on its doorstep. The only reason the dollar is strong is because of these high interest rates. And when the dollar goes down, you're going to see gold prices skyrocket. And again, you know the magazine. We have no advertisers in it. Nobody tells us what to do this is our trend forecast. You're, the death of the dollar, is, and now let's, again, our trend forecasting system is called global nomic, making connections between different fields. We, we started off talking about the, the Ukraine war, and now we talk about Russia and China uniting for strength against the United States. They're tired of their hegemony, be it military or economic. And then you're talking about the BRICS. And now you're talking about getting out of the SWIFT and, 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 and nations trading in their own currencies. The death of the dollar is on the doorstep.
1: Ooh, uh, if you were buying right now as an investor, either short-term or long-term, you predicted the stock market crash not just in 2008 but all the way back to the late 1980s. Now, if you were around in 1929, you would have predicted that one as well. Um, if you're buying right now in terms of investment, where are you putting your money?
3: Right now, I'm, I'm – I'm... For me, again, just speaking for myself, it's, it's gold uh, uh, and silver, and I gamble. I gamble in Bitcoin, but it's gold and silver. And uh, this is – to me, this is a time to watch because you got to see what's going to happen. If they hold interest rates and they don't raise them in May, I believe the markets are going to – get strong again for a while.
1: It's going to be very interesting to watch. Gerald Salente, it is always enlightening. Thank you, my friend. Um, I'll uh, hopefully see you on May 27th. If not, we'll certainly talk before, though. Thanks
3: so much, and thank you for all that you do.
1: Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead
0: the other side of midnight. 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 midnight it's the other side of midnight with Frank morano
12: well i stepped to the plate and i put my face. Hunk of Wood It's the
13: bottom of the third Nobody's gotten hurt And that's pretty good You give the signs Baby, I'll start to whine It's a curve inside He's the most respected man on the team.
1: He's right behind the plate. Patience in your Hit and Run by beam. the great Gary Korb. Uh, Gary Korb's been on this show before and he's since become a friend of mine. He is uh, with CigarAdvisor.com. He's an expert on cigars, but he's also a musician. And uh, this is one of his. Songs And uh, quite a good one, I must say. If you want to comment, uh, 800-848-9222. I'm going to get to your calls in just a moment. So uh, I have told my wife for literally pro- maybe 20 months, she keeps saying, I want you to make an appointment just to get a physical, just get a checkup, to see how things are going. And then especially once my son was born, she would say, you know, I want you to get a physical, just get a checkup, see how you're you're doing see if there are any red flags, not for you, but for for us. And I can't argue with that. And I keep saying, OK, I'll get around to it, I'll get around to it. Now, I have been to the doctor, but I've gone to the doctor for specific ailments. Uh, when I had a, a throat issue, I went to a throat specialist, that kind of thing. Now. I. Was all set and now a lot of listeners wrote to me when I was describing an issue with heartburn, that I had after waking up in from my in my car, I pulled over on the side of the road and I was having severe heartburn a, a, after I woke up from a nap in my car. And uh, right before that, I was actually not able to give blood because my blood pressure came back as too high. Now, I have checked my blood pressure many times since then. And it looks like that was just a one off called by a salty breakfast. My blood pressure is fine. But, you know, a lot of people are urging me to say, you know, go to a uh, go to a a doctor and it's a smart thing. So I had in my brain scheduled that I was going to go to the doctor April 1st, but I I don't really have a regular doctor because I haven't really been to the doctor in a long time. But there was a doctor that I did go to from time to time, but it was a walk-in center, great doctor, a husband and wife team and Rachel says, don't go to them. They're very tough with appointments and you're not going to be able to walk, sit in there all day. Go on your insurance company's website and see what doctors are in your network. So I do that. And I say within a 10 mile radius of where I live, my zip code, it's sending me doctors in New Jersey and Brooklyn, nowhere near where I live. It's still technically in the radius, but it's, it's far, far away. So I called my old doctor, the one that Rachel didn't want me to go to, and I said, "Um, do you take my insurance? They take it. And I said, well, uh, is there any chance I could maybe come in there for a physical on Saturday? They said, well, you could come in as a walk-in or you can make an appointment. Do you want to make an appointment? I said, yes. I'm starting to say, all right, I'll show you, Rachel. And uh, I said, all right, give me the next appointment you have. And they said, all right. The next one we have is... uh, May 13th at 10 (laughs) a.m. So I'm going to – Rachel says she has a way of looking for doctors in our network. I'm going to see if maybe there is another doctor that takes my insurance that I can go to Saturday as I had originally intended or maybe the following week. Otherwise, my appointment, which I know I had talked to a lot of you about, is being moved from – April 1st to May 13th. All right, Mark in Pittsburgh, I got a minute here. It's all yours.
14: Frank, man, hey, Gerald Salente, he hits it right on the nail, man. The man knows his history. Oh, he hits it. But anyhow, uh, it's dire, dire situation, and uh, what are you going to do, man? But I listen to you every night. Frank, listen, since you're a fan of uh, Star Trek, Captain Kirk, There is a recipe for Tron, on Hey, computer. Hey,
1: Mark, I don't want to miss that. So I'm going to put you on hold, and uh, we'll chat with you next uh, next hour, if you don't mind, okay? Hang on. Uh, Everybody else that's holding, I'll get to you as well. Uh, And next hour, the AC Report and more. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Your influence counts. Use it.
0: This
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Thank you for listening. A special big shout out to all of our newest listeners on Talk 1400 WOND in Atlantic City. Very pleased uh, to be joining that wonderful lineup of radio talents. In fact... In about 20 minutes, we're going to talk with one of them, Dan Klein, who's the host of Klein Time, a terrific show on Talk 1400 W-O-N-D that I listen to all the time. He's going to join us uh, to give us an update on uh, a bunch of things happening in Atlantic City and beyond. We're going to get back to your phone calls in just a minute, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Well, let me ask you a question first. Do you really want to live forever? My answer is, I don't know, but I would like the option, right? Because you think about it, and I've seen this with, you know, most of my friends, my whole life really, have always tended to be older, and one of the, I mean, I have friends of all ages, but one of the sad things about having close friends that are significantly older than you is they all pass away long before you do. And it is very lonely. I mean, I think back uh, to my relationships with uh, Joe Franklin, uh, Bob Grant, Barry Farber, and those are just the people that you would know uh, that has nothing, that's to say nothing of the people that I had befriended that were much older than me that have also passed away that are not well known. And it is very lonely. So I would want to maybe live forever if everybody that I know and care for, is also living forever. Otherwise, I don't want to be the only person living forever. That could be kind of lonely. That's like that Twilight Zone episode. Well, futurist Ray Kurzweil has predicted that humans will achieve immortality in just seven years. Seven. Mickey Mantle's number, seven. George Costanza's son's number. Uh, name, seven. The 75-year-old computer scientist and former Google engineer who received the National Medal of Technology in 1999 and was actually inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame in 2002 made this shocking prediction and many others in recent decades. This guy is no slouch. And many of his predictions have turned out to be accurate. Now... As this date is approaching, 2030, Kurzweil's comments on immortality have resurfaced in a two-part YouTube series by tech vlogger Adagio. Kurzweil has accurately prophesized technological achievements in the past. He's sort of like the Gerald Salente of the technology world. He predicted the widespread use of laptops I'm looking at a laptop right now. I'm reading my notes on this story from a laptop right now. He predicted that an IBM computer would win over the world champion of chess, Gary Kasparov, inspiring a cult following among other futurists. They said, okay, this guy's right about this. He's right about this. He's right about that. Let's start listening to this guy. So these new videos by Adagio, which have collectively racked up about 87,000 views, they revisit these claims that Kurzweil made in his book in 2005. The book is called The Singularity is Near. Let me make sure uh, Ray Kurzweil is still alive before I... uh, uh, Yeah, still alive. So I'm going to invite him on the show. I'm going to get in touch with this guy and uh, invite him on the show. Let me make a note. Because I don't, if I don't write it down in the moment,
7: boom, it's done.
1: Okay. So he wrote this book in 2005 called The Singularity is Near, in which he predicted that technology, technology will allow humans to achieve everlasting life by 2030. He told Futurism, which is a, a magazine or a publication that basically deals with futurists, 2029 is the consistent date that I've predicted for when an AI will pass a valid Turing test. That refers to experiments that challenge computers to think like us and therefore achieve human levels of intelligence. I have set the date 2045 for the singularity, which is when we will multiply our effective intelligence a billion fold by merging with the artificial intelligence we have created. Imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine if we're actually merged with this artificial intelligence, almost like the Borg. Kurzweil has previously suggested that in less than a decade, humans will have created technology to fend off aging and illness with microscopic robots sent to repair our bodies on a cellular level. And indeed. Medical engineers right now are currently fast at work on these little disease-fighting robots. He also claims that such nanotechnology will allow people to eat whatever they want while staying thin and energized. 20 years ago, he wrote a blog in which he said the following. Nanobots in the digestive tract and bloodstream will intelligently extract the precise nutrients we need, call for needed additional nutrients and supplements through our personal wireless local area network, and send the rest of the food we eat on its way to be passed through for elimination. So, 20 years ago, those predictions seemed about as far fetched as you can imagine. Well, since then, many of his previous claims have come true. In fact, in 2010, he claimed in a report that he himself authored to have hit an 86% accuracy rate. Now, are you your own best judge? With 147 predictions that he made in the 1990s. Among a long list, he accurately predicted that consumers will be able to design their own clothes with precise measurements and style requirements from their home computers by 1999. He was right about that. He predicted that the world's best chess player would lose to a computer by the year 2000. He predicted that people would primarily use portable computers in a wide range of sizes and shapes by 2009, and the majority of the world would have high-bandwidth wireless Internet access at all times by 2010. Silicon Valley billionaires Peter Thiel and Jeff Bezos have meanwhile put a lot of stock in his predictions and dedicated their careers to developing technology that will enable humans to live well into their hundreds. I'm curious, for starters, what you think about this. Uh, I'll be honest, I never thought about this in terms of technology helping humans actually live. What I thought was more likely, and you'll remember I touched upon this in one of my interviews with William Shatner. What I thought was more likely is that we would find a way to download someone's human consciousness onto an A.I., like that, uh, that movie with Joaquin Phoenix, Her, that's, that takes place in the near future, and you're able to take long-dead philosophers and etch- conversate with them. As themselves, as their voice, and saying what they would say. I don't. I think that's around the corner. But to actually think and look, I put a lot of stock in Kurzweil as well. Kurzweil as well, yes. Um, to actually think that we could be in a position where these nanobots actually can heal whatever disease we have, and repair ourselves, I find it pretty amazing. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. You're obviously welcome to uh, comment on anything else you like. Any subject is fair game. Uh, Let's say hello to Mark in Pittsburgh. Hey, Mark, you know, in Pittsburgh this weekend, uh, Jesse Ventura is going to be out there. If he's not there already, they have Steel City Con in Pittsburgh this weekend.
14: Oh, you know what, Frank? I didn't hear anything about it. Uh I know right where they have it too. It's not too far from where I live. Jesse Ventura is going to be there, huh? It I will look it up on the computer. Yeah. Yes, yes. Let, let us know if
1: you end up going. Let us know how it is. Well, oh, Frank, I,
14: I, um, well, Gerald Salente always hits it on the number there, and uh, I right now I'm working on scale models right now. World War One German aircraft. Listening to you on the radio. But I wanted to tell you about the recipe for Tranya. (laughs) It's on the computer. Well, give me. uh,
1: Where can I find that? Because I'll post that online. If people don't know what Mark is talking about, Tranya was a drink uh, that uh, one of the aliens that they encountered on Star Trek. By the way, do you know who played that alien?
14: Oh, you know, uh, Frank Ron Howard's brother.
1: Excellent, Clint. excellent. Well done, Marky. That's right. It was Ron Howard's little brother Ron Clint Howard. that played God. that uh, alien. And it look, he was a little kid at the time, and he invites the, kid. the crew members of the Enterprise in, and they uh, they they drink that tranya. I never understood why they left that one guy behind. <laughs> <laughs> to stay there yeah. we never heard anything from that other guy again no no no, we didn't there
14: man I, I watched every star trek episode in fact i got a scale model from a company of the enterprise it's one 350th scale the original enterprise and i'm thinking about putting it together i paint them up weather them and you could electrify the interior on it and it lights up and i'll tell you frank but on my mind a little bit there. But but anyhow, the recipe for Tranya it's simple. Uh, it says, uh, I don't know if they still make tang, the drink tang, the orange-flavored tang. Yeah, they still make tang, absolutely. Okay. It's tang. You mix your tang up, and you put a couple of shots of either Frank's Red Hot Sauce or Tabasco sauce in it. And that is the recipe for Tranya.
1: Okay. All right. That sounds simple enough. I would give it a try. <laughs>
14: Yeah, Frank, one more last thing. You said uh, about 2030, uh, this implementation, isn't it funny? In 2030, that will be the great reset, the last stages of the great reset with Klaus Schwab. You know, you'll own nothing and love it.
1: You know, it is interesting, Mark. Thank you for the call. I, I do wonder, and I was thinking about this, because we've spent a lot of time talking about the problem with Western civilizations not having babies anymore, if everybody, let's say not everybody, but let's say a third of the world population, let's even say a tenth of the world population, is really going to live forever, I mean live as long as they did around the time of Moses, then I really do wonder what that means for the world. Although, I guess Moses only lived to 120. But other people in biblical time, Not only 120, that's old. But other people in biblical times, they lived a very long time. You know, um, if you look at some of the ages of biblical figures, I mean, they're astronomical. Methuselah lived to 969. Okay? Uh, Adam of Adam and Eve fame lived to nine hundred and thirty. I mean, these people lived a long time. Could we be going back there? And if we do get back there, what does that mean for what does that mean for the planet? eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two if you want to comment you know I in hearing all these predictions from Ray Kurzweil. And it does remind me a little bit of that prophet who was not nearly as accurate back in the 50s and 60s, Criswell. Now, these days, I think people remember Criswell for two things. One, they remember that he was the person that first greets you in the movie Plan 9 from Outer Space. And they also remember... Uh, if you've seen the movie Ed Wood, which I just love, it's one of my favorite films uh, of all time. It's just great. I, it's been too long since I've seen it, and it's, it's just a great film. He's a character in that film, uh, and it's a very funny take on that character. But back in the 50s and 60s, Criswell, no relation to Ray Kurzweil that we that we know about, used to make predictions like this.
15: Greetings, my friend.
2: Have any of you ever heard of a
7: movie called Plan 9 from Outer Space? No.
11: Nope. No. <laughs> no. Not at all.
16: Never. No, no never.
1: Out. And the people asking about, uh, about uh, Plan 9. Uh, Criswell was a fascinating character. He claimed that he never talked until the age of four. And then during a thunderstorm, he first spoke and he made his first prediction. The rain will stop. And it did. And then from that point on, he was talkative, and he placed himself center stage. And there was a time he he got his start, I think, working as a radio announcer, and he began buying time on local Los Angeles TV stations in the early 50s to run infomercials for his Criswell family vitamins. Isn't it interesting how the more things change, the more they stay the same, you still see infomercials for so-and-so with a vitamin – uh, this vitamin or, or that vitamin. I'm wondering if, um, and then he, obviously he catapulted to fame with the Jack Parr show and the appearances that he did in the Ed Wood movies. He published books of predictions. I wonder if I should launch a vitamin. But then again, I don't really know anything about vitamins. So I'll scratch that one. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. That's uh eight eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Simon is in Brooklyn. Hello, Simon.
15: Frankie, but the pre-biblical times, I was calling you, let's say times of Adam and Eve, he lived oh, like 900 years because, you know, those days, we know we have nails on our fingers, so the body was covered with nails. This is just a, a little bit of a, a resemblance of the how people lived then.
1: Wait, wait but, so uh, I- you maintain that our whole body was covered with basically fingernails?
15: Fingernails. That's why the only thing we have left is our fingers it's a memory. Adam was covered with of, with nail. At the times of Manoah people it was a whole different uh, breed. People lived five hundred years, nine hundred years. Is
1: that in the Bible anywhere?
15: It says in the Bible, sure. That where, people the whole body was covered by nail. Where is that? So you could it's in the in the Torah it says that um they speak about it. That really, you—you you taught yes. me
1: something. I didn't know that. But does yeah. that really <laughs> help you live that much longer to be covered by it, nail?
15: It cover, it, it protect everyone from diseases and all kinds of things what were going on. Then people of nine hundred years and five hundred years. one Jacob is one of Jacob's um, daughters, her name is Sarah Basasha. She lived close to. She lived like close to a thousand years. I yeah, mean, in the Bible. no, I
1: knew people that, were... but I this is the first thing I'm hearing that uh, the humans used to be covered in nails. That's news to a me. Nail.
15: That's why it's the only rep, the the fingers. Those those. That's the nail. Which we those are the memories. Which which was left. And people only had palms then before Noah's times. And people used to sneeze. They used to die. So Abraham begged God, if he, you know, that's why he say gezuntites when someone sneezes. Those days people just dropped dead. So he asked God, you know, let them live, you know. So that's why, you know, those days, it was a whole different game. Yeah, it, it, by it, it the way, biblical.
1: If, right. you, if you, Simon, or anybody else listening— can send me the uh, biblical passage that says that. I'd be very curious to, yeah, I'll send uh, it to you. read it.
15: I'll, by tomorrow, you'll have it. I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it to you.
1: Thank you, Simon. 800 848 If you want to email me, by the way, you can do so frank.morano at com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. What do you think? Would you want to live forever? 800 And do you buy this prediction, not from Criswell, but from Kurzweil, Ray Kurzweil, a futurist that has a pretty good track record of making accurate technological predictions? You think he's right here? I know it sounds crazy, but he's been right about almost everything. An 87% accuracy rate. Pretty good. I wonder if he's right about this. Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick.
11: Yes, good morning, Frank. Good morning. morning. You were talking you were talking about the biblical people living for like nine hundred years old. I read uh why it- that's not really correct. They didn't have the Julian calendar then. They counted lunar cycles. And if you figure nine hundred and something years by twelve, it comes to between seventy and eighty something years old, which makes sense which was very old in those days, by the way. You usually died at forty or something. But it's no one lives in 900. They were counting lunar cycles because the common man could keep track of the full moons.
1: All yeah. right. Okay. Uh, so so be it. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate that. 800 uh, 848 I'm not sure that's accurate either. You know, but again, I was not around in Methuselah's time, so I can't really say. Uh, Dave is in Dumont. Hello, Dave.
17: Hey, Frank. What's going on? How are you doing tonight?
1: I'm hanging in there. Thank you.
17: I'm excited about
1: the prospect of eternal life.
17: Okay, well, let's go for it. Hopefully it'll come true.
1: Would you want to live forever, Dave?
17: Uh, no. I'm looking forward to eternal life and the life after. There you go. One. Good for you. Good for you. Yes. Can I make a few comments on Be your Be my guest. Comments guessed. as
1: you see fit, Dave.
17: Yes. Your guest mentioned silver and gold. Uh, There's a coin and stamps guy that I work with. Uh, I know him for a long time. He's over in the next town over, Bergenfield. He's been there 47 years. And he told me back about 30 years ago that silver is poor man's gold. And it's very volatile. Uh, And uh, the only two times silver was pricey was back in 1980 when it was $50 an ounce. And then it dropped down to like $4 an ounce uh, back in the 90s, early 2000s. And then 2011, it shot up again to $48 an ounce and quickly, within a day or two, dropped back down again.
1: All right. Well, I mean, I can't argue with an authority like the guy that you used to work with, but you're just putting that out there. And, okay, well, we'll, we'll, there you see it. Well, maybe if you can't afford gold, you don't mind poor man's gold. You'll deal with silver anybody wants to send me gold or silver be very happy to get it someone a very nice listener sent some uh, silver certificates for my son Carmen really appreciated that uh, my uncle Steve right before my wife lost the birthday card that he gave her he gave some silver certificates to my uh, my son as well so we have a whole we have a whole bunch of silver certificates and we'll, we'll happily take them. George is in Manhattan. Hello there, Hi, George. Frank, about the seven
10: years, forget about it. It's absolutely nonsense.
1: All right, well, le- le- l- do you want to make ma- a bet, listen,
10: George? Le- I'll make a, a million-dollar bet. Uh,
1: all right, all right. Well, I don't Whatever have a million dollars. I don't have to... All right, well, wait. email I'm me. We'll finished. do a thousand.
10: One more thing, one more thing. Yes, one more Regarding thing. Regarding the age, uh, they used to live uh, t- uh, a thousand, up to a thousand years, nonsense. In those times, they would count 35 days to 36 days, you know, for each and every year. So that would be like they lived 60 years, 50 years, 40 years, et cetera. If that was the case, you know what I mean? How come in the 40s and 50s, people average used to live uh, to be 50, 60 years old? Humphrey Bogart, 59, he died, for example. You know what I mean? Uh, et cetera. And uh, now we live a little longer uh, maybe 10 years average, longer than in the 30s, 40s, et cetera, you know? But as far as the seven years, if that were 70 years, you know what I mean? You could have considered it possibly... Elongating, you know, prolonging life, but uh, not uh, living uh, permanently on this earth—it's just impossible. All Even right. if uh, one was not shot to death. Yeah, and so just know?
1: just for the record, and thank you, uh, George. Just for the record, the life expectancy in the forties was about sixty, sixty, uh, or depending on what year we're talking about, it was about sixty-three years old. Life expectancy today is about 76 years old. So we are living longer. But that's the thing. That's why those 900-year lifespans are so crazy. And I am—I uh, don't think George is right. I think I'm, you give me a choice between George from Manhattan, who has a long history of inaccurate analysis. I didn't hear him on other radio shows. He thinks I don't hear him. But I hear him, and he takes shots at all the other hosts, including me. And I'm, I don't think he's that accurate. You give me 87% Kerswell. you give me Criswell, I'll take him over George. But what's what's George from Manhattan's accuracy rate? So if I had the million dollars, I'd bet him. Although, at the rate inflation is going, a million dollars may be, uh, it may be like, uh, maybe I could pay him in Venezuelan if I lose. All right. We're going to talk with Dan Klein. It is Klein time, ladies and gentlemen. The man is a star on Talk uh, 1400 WOND, a station I am very proud, very honored to be a part of, and uh, I am looking forward to talking with him straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
5: It's the other side of midnight with Frank Marano.
0: This is the AC Report.
1: Bustin' in from out of state And the DA can't get no relief
11: Gonna be a rumble on a promenade And the gambling commissioners hanging on by the skin of his teeth Everything
1: dies, baby, that's a fact But maybe everything that dies, someday he comes back Put your makeup Fix your hair up, pretty. Time for our weekly look at the most interesting 48 blocks in all America, probably the entire world. And I can't think of anybody that I'd rather look at it with than uh, Dan Klein. He is the host of Klein Time, which you can hear every afternoon on uh, Talk Radio 1400 WOND. I've been honored to be a guest on Klein Time, and I am certainly a regular listener. Um, Dan, welcome to our show. It's a real thrill to have you on the program. Hey,
12: Frank, thanks for having me on your program, buddy. Nice to be uh, heard in the Big Apple. Uh,
1: Dan, let me begin with uh, kind of a a sad story, but it's one that everyone in South Jersey is talking about. It's one that uh, everybody around the country is talking about right now. And it's the fact that dead whales and now dead porpoises continue to keep washing up on the beaches in Atlantic City and the Jersey Shore in general, it seems like this problem just exploded out of uh, out of nowhere. There's a, a lot of, uh, some people believe, and we've had Jeff Van Drew on this program, we've had a number of other people, that this is somehow tied to the pre-work that's being done for offshore wind, and that that is somehow maybe screwing with how the whales navigate or something like that. Vandrew and others have called for a uh, moratorium on this uh, offshore wind project for the time being. And the people that support offshore wind, they're saying, no, there's no evidence at all to show that offshore wind has anything to do with the porpoises, the the dolphins, the whales, or anything else. Where do you come down on this, Larry? I well, mean, no, well, Dan, sorry, I got Larry well, on hold.
12: No, listen, here's the thing. With the, uh, with the offshore people, they say it's not related to anything that they're doing, ocean floor mapping, this, that, and the other thing. But before they say that, they say, look, we don't know what the cause is, but it's not us. And so you can't really say it's not us if your opening statement is we don't know what the cause is. You know what I mean? So I think the jury's still out on that. You've got local legislators and, of course, as you mentioned, Congressman Jeff Bandrew. All they want to do is hit a pause button and find out what the real cause is. And I have to say, Frank, I grew up, you know, I was born in Atlantic City. I grew up in the town right next door with, you know, Atlantic City's on an island called Absecon Island, not unlike Manhattan. And basically, you got Atlantic City, Ventnor, Margate, and Longport. I was born in Atlantic City, grew up in Ventnor, a couple blocks from the beach, man. Let me tell you something. 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Nobody, nobody uh, you know, a whale washing up on the beach, a dolphin washing up on the beach, unheard of. Uh, everybody would have been down there. Would have been the biggest news, the biggest item that happened the entire year. So this is definitely an anomaly. There's certainly something. Obviously, there's something. You know, Captain obvious here. There's something going on, and all the legislators are saying, "Hey, hit a pause button and let's find out what it is."
1: Yeah, I mean that's pretty much where I come down. Sure, there's no evidence, but uh, but as you said, the fact that. That this is happening and no one has any explanation as to what what is causing this. Let's hit the pause button and then if we still if it still happens, then okay, we cross that off the list. We know it's not that. It, it really right. doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
12: <laughs> no, no, they got the pedal to the metal with wind turbine energy, and I don't know if you saw Frank, but I just mentioned this on my show yesterday. An international energy and regulatory committee just approved, just approved a miniaturized, nuclear, clean nuclear reactor. This is a nuclear reactor that has no radioactive waste. Wow! They just they just approved it, and uh, it, this you know basically the point here is that these giant wind turbines out in the ocean that they want to dot the ocean coast from Maine to Florida ultimately. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of spillover problems with this that are unforeseen, or at least it appears to be, with fishing, mapping of the ocean floor, ship navigation, uh, the marine life issues, all of that stuff. And it seems as if the uh, very essence of wind turbines could, re- could be rendered mute uh, based on new technologies that are emerging. So it seems like a lot of money's being spent on a project. It may get mothballed down the road. You know that's I'm
1: not, that's such yeah, go a good point, uh, Dan. That's such a good point. Uh, you think there's a, a real possibility uh, that that clean nuclear energy that could be the future of energy uh, going forward, maybe in the in the near future, and that the the push and the need for all this wind energy may not be. It might be su- superfluous. Absolutely,
12: absolutely. And then in addition to that, you've got. Hydrogen fuel cell technology coming uh, uh, that's emerging, uh, that's right here on the cusp, and automobiles are uh, utilizing hydrogen fuel cell. So there's a lot of components, a lot of technologies coming down the road, Frank. And to spend hundreds of billions of dollars to dot the seaboard with giant windmills, I just think is a little bit crazy. But that's just
1: me. Now, I know – and people just – we're talking with Dan Klein, uh, host of Klein Time, longtime Atlantic City radio talk show host and media personality. I think anybody that's been to Atlantic City, certainly anybody that lives anywhere near there – they know that uh, wind energy is not new to Atlantic City. You go to the area over by the Borgata, you see those That's giant right. windmills. They're they're spinning, and they're uh, they're spinning all the time. It's certainly a, a tourist attraction. I remember when I had a conversation with Donald Trump about this. He would always point out that there were a lot of birds that were that were being killed. But how how have those windmills worked out in Atlantic City? How do the residents like them? Uh, how do they do in terms of wind generation? Are they all there cracked up to be? Are they all that they were sold to the public as?
12: Well, that's a great question, Frank. And all I can say is every Tuesday I have a fellow on my program, Seth Grossman, who's executive director of an organization called Liberty and Prosperity. Sure, I know,
1: Seth. He's been on this program, all right.
12: too. All right. You can check him out, libertyandprosperity.com. But here's the thing. He is chronicled. He's asked for the... Uh, Uh, the financial records of the windmills. He's trying to get the answer to the question you just asked. And they're not very forthcoming with all the materials. At the end of the day, they've been there. You drive by, you see the turbines turn every now and then. However, I will say, last summer, the wife and I were at Borgata, and uh, I noticed uh, we were there for an extended stay. And over the period we were there, we happened to be in a a suite that was looking over the back bays of Atlantic City. And during the hottest point of the summer, heat wave, those windmills weren't blowing. And just one other note on that, Frank. The windmills require 28 miles per hour in order to turn the turbines to generate, to convert the air into into electricity. Have you you heard of anybody pointing out what the average daily wind speed is out in the area where they're going to build these things? Because if you ask me, that's kind of an important piece of the equation. You know what I mean? If you want oh, yeah. to spend hundreds of billions of dollars, you might want to know what the average daily wind speed is going to be in the area you're going to build. That's just me, though.
1: <laughs> it's a great point. Talk with uh, with Dan Klein. By the way, when you go to visit uh, Borgata or any of the other nine Atlantic City casinos, what's your game generally, Dan?
12: <laughs> it's great. Well, actually, I'm video poker.
1: Video poker. I like video poker, too. And uh, it's nice at the Borgata. The drinks are so expensive there that if you play video poker at the B-Bar, at least you can get a free uh, free glass of whiskey now and then.
12: Yeah, that's the thing. You know, here's the thing. In the casinos, they say the best, you know, if you know what you're doing, you can do good in blackjack. But I've got a few people uh, that have called into the program, and if you really know what you're doing, actually craps is apparently the best game in the casino if you know what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I uh, I uh, I'm a big craps player, and every every time I go to the kick craps table, I um, always believe that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and every time uh, I uh, I'm down four, five, six hundred dollars, I am reminded that I have no idea what what I'm doing. Uh, hey, Dad, let me ask you about this. Some big news uh, earlier in the week: Atlantic City's Bader Field is apparently one step closer to a $2.7 billion plan that includes a racetrack, maybe even a Formula One raceway. They're moving forward with this $2.7 billion plan for this long-closed, beautiful piece of land, Bader Field, and uh, this is uh, pretty exciting. Give people a little bit of the history here. What was Bader Field? Why has it been unused for so long? And well, what's the, what's your take on this proposed development from uh, the developer here, Deem Enterprises?
12: Well, Bader Field, uh, it's the, the term airport was actually coined uh, as a result of Bader Field uh, back in the early days of Atlantic City. It was originally a, a, a small municipal airport. Uh, you could get commuter flights to Philadelphia, New York, anywhere, Washington. And it ran pretty well. I mean, for all the years that it actually ran, uh, it was pretty po- a pretty popular uh, little airport. I mean, you could fly into AC, hop in a cab, and you, you were right there. A lot of folks were, were wringing their hands when uh, the former mayor of Atlantic City, uh, Mayor James Whalen, kind of led the charge. Shut it down. After it was shut down, it was pretty much vacant. Uh, you know, you got some concerts there every now and then. You got the baseball stadium that's been there uh, for the Surf, the Sandcastle uh, Stadium, and then you got the hockey. Day. But other than that, not a really whole, not a whole lot going on. It's a it's a huge huge parcel of land. I, the acreage uh, escapes me at the moment, but it's just huge, and it's right on the bay, right there, a couple of blocks from the beach. It's kind of isolated on its own, so it's away from everything, but it's still easily accessible, uh, right off the Black bike Pike Route 322. And uh, so it's been sitting there. Somebody made a bid on it. Uh, let's see, back in uh, who was it? Pinnacle. They were gonna. They wanted to buy it for nine hundred billion or nine hundred million dollars. Uh, they put the you know they put the offer on the table. The cities at the time said that wasn't enough. Uh, Pinnacle ended up having some financial troubles, and then uh, you know they they disappeared from Atlantic City. The city would have gotten the land back on that deal, uh, but since that point, that that proposal of nine hundred million dollars, they haven't had any bites on the land. They couldn't basically, you know, they were trying to give it away, and they couldn't do that. So it's been sitting there idle. Dean comes along; they have a grand plan, basically high-end luxury homes. Uh, they want to put in uh, what people are calling like a racetrack but it's not really a racetrack where you're going to go watch a uh, you know a NASCAR event or something like that it's a racetrack for the residents in the high end community so they can give their cars a little you know oh. little air on the yeah yeah that's the idea so you know the the, the project's being put forth by Deem Enterprises and uh, i mean you know i'm one of these people uh, frank I don't get in the way of money, man. If somebody's got money and they want to put us to work in Atlantic City, go for it, man. You know, pedal to the metal and make it happen. So it looks like it's going to happen at this point. Uh, there's a couple other competing proposals. One from Bart Blatino who owns the showboat. By the way, kudos to him. Uh, he's done phenomenal work with that, old, that showboat, the hotel. They got the water park coming up there. And he came into the party a little bit late with a late proposal, wanted to kind of make it in high-end rentals, you know, part of it high-end, part of it affordable, uh, make some, uh, you know, kind of like canals in there, uh, you know, with a maritime uh, theme to it. And, uh, you know, it didn't really, it kind of came in late and didn't, I I don't know how much consideration the state has given that particular proposal or a third one that was put forth by former state senator Bill Gormley and an associate, they want to make the entire Baderfield a a public park uh, where there would be no rateables for the city of Atlantic City. So as far as I'm concerned, team got the memorandum of understanding. It looks like it's moving forward with them. I say looks like. You never know in Atlantic City. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, Frank, go for it. You know what I mean? Make something happen.
1: Yeah, I, I uh, that's my attitude uh, completely. Hey, speaking of um you never know in Atlantic City. I find the politics of Atlantic City absolutely utterly Fascinating. Last week, I chronicled the, the back and forth between the mayor, Marty Small, and, uh, and council member George Tibbet. It seems like everything is, not ju- is so personal. Uh, everyone on the national scene always points a finger at Donald Trump and the things that he says about people. Well, to me, Atlantic City politics, it almost looks like a city full of Donald Trump's. Everybody takes yeah. everything personal. They're, they're very quick to insult one another. What is the story with I respect to uh, to I politics know, in Atlantic City,
12: <laughs> Frank? I don't know. There's something in the freaking water. I don't know what <laughs> it is, man. You got. I mean, it goes back. It goes. You know, it's not just. This isn't a recent phenomenon here uh, with Mayor Small and and some of the other council people. You know, it goes back. Mayor Langford. He got in a big tip with a fellow by the name of Craig Calloway. Uh, Calloway was on Atlantic City Council as council president. Mayor Langford was mayor. And for the 12 years, and they, too, just hate. And they were best of friends when they started. Then uh, Calloway didn't get a job. He thought he was supposed to be promised a job he didn't get. So this this is going back a few years. So they fought for 12 years. Nothing got done. Then you had mayor. I mean, it's just been one after another. Always seems to be somebody who has a beef with the mayor. And the thing is, Frank, as you point out, it's only 48 blocks, man the town ain't that big. You know what I mean? Everybody should be getting along, and instead... You got people at each other's throats. I I don't. I wish I had a
1: better answer for you. I don't know. When I talk, you know, we're talking on to tel- stations all over the country right now, and um, there's always pe- there's people listening in Baltimore, people listening in Nevada, uh, Tennessee, uh, and all, all over the country, and Alaska. Good morning. And, and um, folks always, when they hear me talk about Atlantic City, a lot of times they'll write to me, they'll even call in and ask the same question. Uh Is Atlantic City safe Uh, for people that have never been to Atlantic City and they're wondering if the if the kind of the bad rap that Atlantic City gets in terms of safety (laughs) is accurate. Set us straight here, Dan. Do you find Atlantic City outside of the casinos to be a a safe place to be?
12: Yes, yes, I do. Uh, The thing is, Frank, it's like anywhere, man. Uh, you know, and and by the way, it's not to say there aren't issues in Atlantic City. They're working on that. This, uh, I thought what I call them street issues, right? So uh, you know, I appeal of some of the buildings that have been, you know, AC's been around for a while since 1854, and some of the buildings look like they've been there that long as well. So you know, they it needs some spruce up, needs some cleanup, needs what I call a power wash, and yeah, there's some issues on the street level, but they're being addressed by a a consortium of uh, uh, the district attorney from the county, uh, city officials, and they've been working on that and really addressing it. And it looks like it's showing. But look, Frank, it's like any spot, man. If you go to a city, you go to Manhattan, you go to Atlantic City, you go to wherever, if you're walking on, if you're going into areas that you don't know about, Well, you got to walk like you know you – you know, there's certain things you do in a city, and you got to carry yourself a certain way. Otherwise, you know, know, people are people, and, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, sometimes if, uh, you know, if you're not, uh, you know, uh, 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 keeping your head up and and walking like you belong there, uh, you might – you know, some folks might try and take advantage of you. But listen, generally speaking, of course, the town is safe. There are some issues, obviously, that they're trying to address. And it looks like they're making progress. So, look, I think Atlantic City, I've said this all along, man. And, you know, as somebody who's a homer, uh, you would expect me to say it, but I try and be as objective as possible. Atlantic City is a gold mine waiting to happen. And it's been waiting to happen since 1978. What I mean by that, the casinos have done very well. Businesses outside the casinos, Restaurants, certain restaurants and so forth, they've done very well. But the city itself, mm. it, it hasn't risen along with with the other entities. You know what I mean, Frank? So it looks like people are aware of that. Investments now have come into Atlantic City. You got Bure, uh, you got the, uh, the Tennessee, the Orange Loop. Uh, you got a bunch of spots throughout the town where people are starting to spend money because at the end of the day, Frank, you go from Maine, you go to Florida. Atlantic City is one of the few places where you can still buy oceanfront properties, and you don't have to take out a mortgage for millions. That's true. Of dollars,
1: you it's know what true. I mean? Yeah, so, um, Dan, great points all, and um, you got to come back. But before I let you go, I got to pin you down. This is the question I ask everybody: gun to your head, you absolutely have to pick what is uh-huh. your. it Doesn't matter the cuisine, your absolute uh-huh. favorite restaurant in Atlantic City.
12: Oh, man. And I got to tell you, they're getting ready to close, too. They're going to close on April 30th. And there's so many, Frank. You know, I hate to pick one. Uh, you got Angeloni's, Cafe 2825, Girasoli. But my favorite, Doc's Oyster House. I don't want to leave them out, But my favorite, Angeloni's, too, Georgia and Arnick Avenue in Atlantic City. And sadly, Alan Angeloni's. And by the way, I have an interview up on Facebook. That I did back in 2010 with Alan about the whole impetus for Angelonis too, but just a high end. Uh, but when I say high end, not stuffy high end. High end in terms of service, in terms of food, in terms of atmosphere, but very friendly and casual in terms of interaction with uh, with the staff. But just an outstanding outstanding uh, you know, time restaurant, and they closed. They're going to close for good on April 3rd. You know, or, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm
1: glad that I'm going to be down there um, the weekend of April 28th. I'm going to try and get down there. Um, why are they closing? That's a great restaurant. Uh, all right, so I
12: don't know. A lot of people are wondering the same thing. Alan's been there. For, you know, it, 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 every, apparently everything's going well. The business is doing good. He's been there, and he's been doing it seven days a week. He may just be at a point where he's retiring. I don't know, Frank. But it's a darn good question. Yeah. You know what? I, I'm going to have him on my show.
1: Great. Hey, and, we'll be uh, listening. We'll, we'll be listening. Catch uh, Dan Klein uh, every afternoon on uh, Talk 1400. And, Dan, what's the best way for people to find you on Facebook?
12: On Facebook, they can go facebook.com slash proamerican. And uh, and then uh, on Twitter, my handle is sjinsider, sjinsider or all one word. Sounds
1: good. Hey, uh, appreciate the conversation, Dan. Let's do it again.
12: Frank, thanks for having me, man.
1: If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead.
5: The Other Side of Midnight. midnight. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Hey!
18: Hello, Joe.
0: What do you know?
17: We need a hit, so here I go.
0: Ball one.
1: has begun. The whole world has uh, baseball fever, and this is one of the classic baseball songs of all time. If you ever visit the Irish pub of uh, Atlantic City, you can see uh, they have uh, quite a bit of uh, Joe DiMaggio memorabilia on the uh, on the walls. You know, it's funny. Uh, now that Dan told me that Angeloni's 2 is closing, I'm really going to try and get there when I'm down there the last weekend in April. But I just worked so hard to get a reservation to go for the first time to Cafe 2825. I had to play the sympathy card with this restaurant. Because if you try and get a reservation there, they're not taking them. They'll only take reservations from people at Cafe 2825 who are already in their existing system, which I'm not. because I've never been there. But I really have been eager to go for a long time now. And I played the sympathy card. I played the don't-you-know-who-I-am card, which I hate to do. And I finally got a reservation. But now I'm thinking, okay, maybe I should try and go to this restaurant. I'll see. Maybe we can do one place on Friday and another place on Saturday. That's a lot of Italian for my wife. Uh, my wife always complains I make her eat Italian too often. So we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll have a conversation about it. We'll see. Hey, uh, we'll take your calls in a moment. 800 848 Until then... Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.
0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
1: Everybody, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. A lot to get to last hour. Yesterday, we turned our own Matt Blaze into an acting criminal court judge, and he did pretty well. The decision that he came up with pretty much mirrors what the prosecutorial authorities in the state that we were talking about came up with. Let's see if we can do it again. Matt Blaze, let me ask you this question. All right. Have you ever been pulled over? Yes. Did you get a ticket? Yes. Did you you deserve the ticket? Yes. Okay. Uh, Have you ever gotten out of a ticket? Yes. Okay. Um, Now, let's say you're pulled over. Do you have the legal right to photograph and or videotape that entire exchange yes now let's say this let's say you take out your facebook live and you want to do a live broadcast on social media of your entire rea- entire interaction with that police officer are you legally permitted to do that yes Okay, the answer is Matt Blaze is once again probably right. Probably right. I'll explain why. Um, I happen to agree with him, and I think that uh, you should have the legal right to live stream any interaction that you have with the police. The police are public authorities, and look, we've seen a lot of police interactions go bad over the years, and I'm not blaming the cops um, usually it's uh, some combination of the person the police are interacting with and the police. Sometimes it's a simple case of misunderstanding or miscommunication. And um, we see this all the time. And every time that a an interaction goes wrong, it's, it's just terrible. Obviously, if someone gets to the point of actually being killed, that's really terrible. But I do remember one time, this is maybe about four years ago, Maybe five years ago, there was a situation where a black couple was pulled over, and I think the man was driving, and I believe he had a, a gun on him, legal, legal gun. And he ended up shot by the police officer who thought that this guy was going for his gun or something, and the police officer shot him. And the girlfriend is sitting there in the car next to her bloody boyfriend, and you might remember this at the time, it was well documented sitting there next to her bloody boyfriend who I believe died and she's live streaming this. And I don't know that that uh, right after he was shot, not, not the shooting, but right after, I don't know that that case would have gotten the attention that it did, but for the fact that it was live streamed in real time, the George Floyd situation, obviously the video of that is well documented, but um, obviously that was not live streamed. Well, This has been an issue that has come before the courts on a number of occasions. And generally, the courts have upheld the right to photograph or take video of police officers. But police officers in Winterville, North Carolina. And we have a lot of listeners in North Carolina. I don't know if we have any in Winterville specifically. If you're in Winterville, give us a holler just to let us know you're there. 800 848 22 Hello, Winterville. Police officers in Winterville, North Carolina, insisted that live streaming that video while you're interacting with the police on social media, while live streaming that video is different. They said you can't do it. During a 2018 traffic stop, you saw a situation where, um, Car passenger, car passenger, Dijon Sharp. I'm not sure if it's Dijon or Dion. It's D I J O N. It should be Dijon, but maybe I just have mustard on the brain. That's one of my favorite varieties of mustard. Mr. Sharp started sharing on Facebook Live, an officer tried to take away his phone. He called it an officer safety issue. Another officer told Mr. Sharp, in the future, if you're on Facebook Live, your phone is going to be taken from you. And if you don't want to give up your phone, you'll go to jail. That's what they said. So Matt Blaise, if he did that same thing, Matt Blaise would be going to jail in Winterville, North Carolina. Well, Sharp sued. By the way, let me play for you. This is a little bit of that interaction that Mr. Sharp live streamed with the police Right on Facebook Live, right as it was happening. Oh it came up so much, man. Look well, we at Facebook Live, cuz. Yup. Yeah, we ain't gonna do
16: Facebook
4: Live. Right? It's off, man, get off my phone, man. Look at your boy. Look at your boy. You know what I'm saying? Why you grabbing on him, though, man? He got his phone on. You can't be grabbing on him, though. Look at me.
1: You got three citations. And that's from that very same interaction. So this guy sues. And a U.S. district court sides against him. And Matt Blaze, they wrote, the court wrote, quote, that an individual's right under the First Amendment to record a traffic stop and to real-time broadcast a traffic stop from within the stopped car was not clearly established. They said it's different. Broadcasting live is different from taking photo or video. That meant the officers involved were entitled to qualified immunity. Mr. Sharp appeals. He takes the case to the Federal Appeals Court with a horde of civil liberties groups, left and right, backing him. The American Civil Liberties Union on the left, uh, the Cato Institute, the uh, Institute for Justice, the National Police Accountability Project. This time, the Federal Appeals Court Sided with Sharp, in part. Winterville failed to... That's the city we're talking about here. Winterville failed to establish that the alleged live-streaming policy is sufficiently grounded in and tailored to strong governmental interests to survive First Amendment scrutiny. That's what the court held in a decision last Tuesday penned by Judge Julius Richardson. So... We vacate the district court's order declaring the policy constitutional and remand further proceedings. Creating and disseminating information is protected under the First Amendment. That's what the judge said, and he's right. And other courts have routinely recognized these principles, extend the First Amendment to cover recording, particularly when the information involves matters of public interest like police encounters. And... According to what the court wrote, recording police encounters creates information that contributes to discussion about government affairs. So, too, does live streaming disseminate that information, often creating its own record. We thus hold that live streaming a police traffic stop is speech protected by the First Amendment. Now, the reason I say Matt Blaze and Mr. Sharp are probably right is because Winterville can appeal appeal this to the Supreme Court. And if the Supreme Court decides to take the case, they could find differently. But as of now, according to the highest court that has heard a live streaming case, you do indeed have the right to live stream your interaction with police. I'm curious if anybody has done that listening to us right now, and if that has in any way changed the interaction that you've had with the police. I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't want to do it because I would try to, I mean, depending on what the infraction was, but if I'm speeding or something along those lines and uh, I'm going to try and get the police officer to leave me off with a warning, I feel like he'd be less likely to do that if I'm live streaming our entire interaction. But if it was something else, if I felt that I was being pulled over or treated unjustly, then maybe I would do a Facebook Live. I have Facebook lived my interactions with people that sell illegal DVDs at the supermarket. Now, thankfully, you see fewer and fewer of them. I guess that's because people don't really have DVD players like I do. But I have a big problem with those guys that sell the bootleg DVDs, 100%. So... Uh, and I think if you go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash morano fan, you click on videos, you could see back in the the back in the day that some of those videos of my interactions with those bootleggers are still up there. I think those are that's some, some of the worst p- crimes people can commit. Nonetheless, the Winterville police officers are still entitled to qualified immunity, the court held under the doctrine of qualified immunity. Police officers are only open to individual liability if they violate a clearly established right that's protected by the Constitution. But the legality of live streaming traffic stops as of now, according to the judges in the appeals court, has been um, – the, the, but the legality of live streaming traffic stops was not clearly established, the judges said. So they said that it was okay in this one instance, but – if the police department is able to provide a a sound rationale that trumps the First Amendment, then maybe they would be able to prohibit it. But as of now, looks like you can live stream your interactions. We'll see if the Supreme Court decides to take this case or if Winterville even appeals. I suspect they will though. Curious how you view the legality of this. And if you've ever live streamed an interaction that you've had with police, or I know we have a lot of cops listening, both um, current and retired. I wonder if any of them have ever encountered someone who live streamed their interaction. Do you think this is any different than the TV show Live PD? I do, um, because, again, I didn't see Live PD, but my understanding was that the police departments were almost um, participants in the show. Right.
4: Well, they were. They had, on the show, they had, say, four or five different police departments all over the country. And when something was happening, they go, let's go to San Antonio, where the police are coming up on a suspect at the convenience store or whatever it was. And then they would just shoot it. like It was live. And whatever happened, happened.
1: Well, uh, so I don't know. I, I, I don't. I, but clearly the police departments didn't have a problem with it because they were participating. But I do. But yes. Right. If it's somebody else that's live streaming, they don't necessarily control the narrative. You see what I mean? Right. No, I, I, that's why I was saying. Do you feel it's the same thing? I think it's.
4: Pretty much the same. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I mean, whether whether a a broadcasting company that's behind the police are doing it, or somebody who's being pulled over, or or police were called on them for whatever reason, you don't know that they committed a crime. What would be the difference? It's still live stream, live broadcasting.
1: Uh, that's a fair, very fair point. 800-848-9222, That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me. Larry in uh, Brooklyn has been holding it for a while. Hello, Larry.
16: Hi, Frank. Uh, I'd like to comment on the Kurzweil prediction, if I might. Is Be that okay? my guest. Yes. Okay. Um, basically, uh, the uh, you know just to expand on Simon's biblical uh, allusions. The Tower of Babel looms very large in his prediction, because you know, whereas science may have its own agenda and and be unlimited, we're limited by our spiritual uh, our spirituality is going to uh, lead us to destroy the environment that this so-called immortal man is going to live in, and that's happening right before our eyes. Uh, with the dolphins and the whales. We, are, we, are, we do not belong in the ocean. It says, on the third day of creation, God created the earth. In other words, and how did he create the earth? The seas receded. That's when we see the shoreline. When the water pulls back from the shore, that's an indication how God made the waters recede so that man can live on earth that 's where he was designated to be, and he and he was also allowed to he told Noah to subdue the earth, meaning you could do fracking, fricking, any kind of thing you want. the earth is going to survive we may pollute the air in our, in our lungs, but that but but as far as the earth goes, the earth is going to survive, and also by the way that 's a way of refuting the um the uh, UFO argument also. We were designated to live on the Earth with the waters receding and only the Earth. Okay. Um, now, so the thing is, we're killing these dolphins and these whales, and science doesn't even won't can't even recognize. This is my thought. Science can't even recognize the reason why whales and dolphins beach themselves. If you ask a marine biologist, he'll give you some uh, convoluted reason. But the reason is they're mammals they don't go there to die. they don't teach themselves to die. That's what they'll tell you in science all right they beach Larry, to,
1: to that, live your your phone is very staticky or it yeah. might it might be our phone so um I'm not sure whose phone it is, but it's just kind of getting getting on my nerves, so I'm ending the phone call there eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two seven open lines if you want to comment. Marianne is in the Queens. Hello, Marianne. good morning frank yes
18: first i want I want to commend you for your Um, But what what you say about Andrew Cuomo, yes, he's a liar, and you put him in his place. You know, I admire you for that. Let me tell you, you tell most of the time, not always, the truth, because sometimes you (laughs) come with your own ideas.
1: (laughs) That's quite a compliment. Uh, uh, We're we're going to turn that into a promo.
18: You tell the truth
1: most of the time. I'll take it marianne i'm gonna I'm gonna try that on my wife. you know, I think I have tried that on my wife. It didn't go over that well
18: yeah now going on with the uh videos to um to the police i i I kind of you know uh don't agree with you on that. I don't think that the police uh should be video for many reasons first of all, that interfere with your job, second of all. They will become targets of and attacks from the media. Right. Well, and that's that exactly. everything.
1: That's exactly what the police officers told this uh, Mr. Sharp. They said you're putting, you know, putting officers in danger by doing yes. this, and that's why I'm uh, I'm surprised there aren't more people. Making that very same point, because I could see what they mean there. If there's some lunatic that doesn't like how a cop has treated a motorist in an interaction, then, you know, they may make that cop a target and know who they are because of this live stream video. I get that.
18: There, let me tell you something. I believe, I believe that many people are doing... On purpose, they bring someone. They take their video because they want to bring a lawsuit. Oh, I and agree. We oh, ended up paying.
1: Hundred percent, Marianne. Thank you. That being said, I'm an advocate of sunshine. I am an advocate of having public officials work. They work for us. I'm an advocate of that work being out in the open, not not clandestine. But I, I that's a valid argument. I see exactly what she means. 800-848-9222. Hey, by the way, if you have not yet started listening to the Racket Report, you've got to listen to the most recent edition of it. You really do. My guest this week is Scott Bernstein. He is an expert on the Detroit mob. And he has done incredible work exploring the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa. And I know a lot of you have probably seen The Irishman. The Irishman is fiction. I asked Scott Bernstein, what really happened? What's the story with Jimmy Hoffa? What's your best guess as to uh, what happened to Hoffa and why it happened?
19: Well, we know why it happened. Uh, That's never, I don't think, ever really been disputed. I mean, unless you want to get into the conspiracy theories about the CIA and, you know, Kennedy and Castro. And I'm not saying that's not possible, but let's just go on the the idea that there's no conspiracy involved. Uh, You know, we know why he was murdered. He was murdered because the mafia wanted to boot him out of labor union affairs. And Hoffa didn't want to leave. Uh, They were a... Uh, It was a relationship that was very symbiotic for 30 years, and both benefited from the other. But by the 1970s, Hoffa had gotten kind of too big for his britches and fancied himself, uh, you know, a head of state more so than a um, a puppeted labor boss. And came out of prison after doing, you know, uh, four four or five years on a, a bribery case and wanted to take back the presidency, which had made him world famous. And the mafia didn't want him to return. And they told him to retire. And, and Jimmy Hoffa refused to retire and started making threats to people that you shouldn't make threats to. And then uh, something that has been incredibly underreported, uh, I am able to confirm that he was, at, by the time he was dis- disappeared and died, he was a FBI informant, a confidential FBI informant for the last year or two of his life. And those rumors were circulating
1: and that all added up to uh, him. Jimmy having Hoffa. Him. Hoffa was an FBI informant. Yeah, he was an FBI informant. Had you ever heard that before? Prior to reading Scott Bernstein's work, I hadn't heard it. I'm curious. I mean, and then sure enough, his sources are very good. So I want you to listen to the whole interview. You can The best way to listen to The Racket Report is just search The Racket Report on any podcast app. Spotify, uh, iTunes, or as Governor Cuomo calls it, on Apple. But if you uh, don't have any podcast app, just go to redapplepodcastnetwork.com and search The Racket Report. And somebody emailed me yesterday. Uh, The highest score you can get, I think, on iTunes is five stars. Our rating for the Racket Report right now is 4.9. So if you want to help us uh, add to that, you can go uh, and give us a five-star rating on Apple. And uh, we'd certainly be grateful for that. 800-848-9222. What do you make of this live stream police situation? This is going to be the sequel to Alex Barnard's next song, Livestream Crimes. Now, his next song is titled L- L- Legally Live Streaming Police Interactions. It's not as catchy as the first one, but it has the added value of potentially getting a boost from a forthcoming Supreme Court case. 800 Johnny is in Baltimore. Hello, Johnny.
20: Hey, good morning, Frank. Good morning. Uh, I've been in law enforcement for 20 years, and I could say... The live stream thing I've had happen to me a couple times, but it's usually not the suspect or the person you're interacting with. It's usually someone who's in close proximity, that's a family member that feels like they're being wronged. It's usually not the offender. It's usually someone who is around them.
1: And does do you ever have you ever tried to stop them from live streaming? No, because.
20: You know you're focused on what you're there for. Right. Um, but I'm, I mean, if that person's obviously calling, causing a safety distraction or interfering with you or hindering your ability to do your job, that's another thing. But you've you got to kind of just brush it off. And since we've had the body cameras, a lot of that's been circumvented.
1: Right, well, I would think so, but the body camera is different in that it's not broadcast in real time. It's not live.
20: No, I see what you mean. No, no, that's true. Uh So
1: it sounds like you may not even, if someone were to do this as a police officer, you don't necessarily have a problem with it.
20: No, not really, because if you're doing the right thing, which, I mean, believe it or not, Frank, I know you do, 95% of us to 99.9% of us do the right thing. You're not going to have a problem. Yeah. Uh, Too much extra stuff to worry about.
1: Right. That's such a good point. So based on my reading of the situation out of uh, North Carolina with uh, Dijon Sharp, did you think the police (laughs) overreacted by threatening to take the guy's phone away or throw him in jail?
20: No, I mean, sometimes it happens. I mean, in the heat of the moment, you know, things like that happen. There was an incident here. In Baltimore, about five years ago, there was a kid skateboarding in the, in a harbor, and a police officer took his phone and told him to stop recording him, and he didn't, and the police officer threw his phone in the harbor. And... Or, or he took his phone. I don't know if he threw it in the harbor, but I think he took his phone. So the kid never got his phone back. And it, it was a crazy case. They they suspended him, and he wound up having – I think he lost his job or he had to retire. Wow. He had, a lot of time, he had a lot of time on Frank. And he didn't do nothing really physically to the kid. He just – he just took his phone.
1: He, he, the kid never got his phone back. Hey, uh, I'm, I'm Johnny. I'm going to let you go because your phone's getting some interference. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the insight there, and thanks for your service as well. I hope uh, I hope we cross paths when I'm in Baltimore. 800-848-9222. Lynn is in Maryland.
21: Hello, Lynn. Hey, Frank. And you may be familiar with a New York State law that prohibits someone taping you on a telephone conversation without your consent. Are you aware of that?
1: No. In fact, I think it's just the opposite. New York's a one-party state, so as long as one party is giving consent to the recording, my understanding is uh, that even if it's on the telephone, it's okay to record that.
21: Well, they might have changed that law in that case, because in the case of the 1993 World Trade Center truck bombing, which was basically an FBI sting operation against the Blind Sheikh. I think you remember a lot of that. Yeah, my, my, I know both the,
1: the lawyer and the prosecutor in that case. Yes. Right,
21: Lynn, Lynn Stewart, I guess, was a defense attorney for the Blind Shake. Well, Ahmad Salim, former Egyptian Army officer, who was the FBI confidential informant, and basically right in the inner circle around the Blind Sheikh, when he was, uh, basically set up the truck bomb, he was the one who actually set it all up, And when he spoke to his FBI handler, he said he begged them to replace the explosives with an inert substance, an inert powder or something, rather than the actual explosives, so no one would be hurt. And his FBI handler said, no, go ahead and use a real explosive. Ahmad Salim taped this phone call, but the judge, and and wanted to testify to this effect— and introduces as evidence during the trial against the blind Sheikh, basically the FBI through the sting operation, and really was responsible <laughs> for that. For yeah, the fact uh, that, that but, truck blew up, and the judge ruled. The judge ruled yeah. that Ahmad Salim had violated New York State law by taping that conversation with this FBI handler without uh, informing the FBI. uh, For starters, um,
1: that was the law even back then. New York was a one-party state back in 1993, so I think you may be misremembering that. Uh, Thank you, Lynn. Uh, But yeah, New York was a one-party state back then. As long as one party consents to the conversation, you can legally record that. You cannot legally record a conversation that two people are having with one another that you're not a party to. As long as one person is a part of the conversation, you can you can record that with no uh, no problem. Joe's in Ron Conkima. Hello, Joe.
12: Hey Frank, I uh, just wanted to say great show like always, and um, thank you. I enjoy to your programs. I mean, you're the only one I really uh, listen to right now, and uh, I do listen to both snurdly on the weekends, but uh, your show is just riveting all the time. And I just wanted to call and let you know I'm listening, and uh, I. Uh, I really um, I enjoy your show. Thank
1: you, uh, Joe. There's no accounting for taste, I suppose. Thank you very much. Gino in Brooklyn. Hello, Gino.
13: Hello, sir. Yeah, so I was calling to tell you that we have been a one-party consent state. Other states are not, so it's going to make a, fe- a federal ruling on that a little tricky because some states just don't mm-hmm. do it the same way. But I will correct you in one instance. Well, two, two – Quick thoughts. You, The cops would go crazy if they went around trying to squash everybody that had a camera rolling all the time because it gets a little mon- monotonous. And it really doesn't matter in terms of uh, the overall picture because remember Rodney King? That guy was on a third floor apartment right. 30 right. years ago, right? And he created the same amount of stir as anybody right. else. But getting, getting back to the other point, if, you're, if your expectation is public place – then you don't have the expectation of privacy. Sure. So if I'm walking behind you and you're talking with your wife on the boardwalk smoking a cigar, I could record you all I like. Now, if I get in your space, you can punch me in the face, right? But I still have the right to record you in a public place because you have no expectation of privacy there. And for that reason alone, the cops should stop whimpering and crying around, oh, you're getting in my – now, that's where the courts can – support them, though, because mm-hmm. the court could say you're interfering with their business now. You want to do it from a safe distance? Then you can, You have that right. But you start crossing lines into what they're doing and, and making it tactically difficult for them, then it becomes a different legal consideration, and the court could spin on that argument alone.
1: Uh, Gino, thank you. i got to end it there. We're going to do the $1,000 minute in a moment. If you want to uh, try to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds— and win $1,000 if you do. Then be the seventh caller right now to 800 848 That's 800 848 We'll uh, give you a chance to win $1,000. Seventh caller, 800 848 And then we'll talk with the inimitable, the one and only, Brian Kilmeade.
0: The Other Side of
5: Midnight with Frank Marano. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Marano. I
13: love Mickey. Mickey who? You know who? The fellow with the celebrated swing.
6: Oh, I love Mickey. Mickey who? You know who? The one who drives me batty every spring. If I
9: don't make a hit with him, my heart will break in two. I wish that I could catch him
13: and catch a little woo. I love Mickey. Mickey
5: who? Mickey you. Mickey me. And that's who.
1: That's right. It is opening day today, ladies and gentlemen. And I am really excited. So we're celebrating with some uh, baseball music. And we're going to talk with Brian Kilmeade in a moment to find out uh, his level of, uh, of baseball enthusiasm. Uh, but first, we're going to see if we can't give away some money as part of...
0: The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the Thousand Dollar Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's
1: your host, Frank
16: Murano. Let's
11: say hello to
1: Artie in Brooklyn. Hello, Artie. Hi, how you doing? I'm well, Artie. Artie, are you familiar with this contest? Uh, A little bit. Uh, Artie, do me a favor. Turn your radio off, okay?
3: Uh, Okay. Oh, the radio. Yeah. And I had the TV on, so... I know, okay. you wanted
1: a maximum amount of distraction, hoping the either the TV or the radio 20 seconds ago would give you the correct answer to the questions I'm about to okay, ask you.
3: I have to get back to this. I must... Artie. Artie.
1: Find the show sounds pretty good, I must say, even on delay. You sound good. Good reception, good energy. It's good to know that Brooklyn is still wall-to-wall... Frank Morano, country.
3: How is it now?
1: It sounds a lot like the radio is still on.
3: The radio is on. Okay, because I got a tablet. I'm in a nursing home, um, and that, and I have to get back back to turn you off. Okay. All right. Now it's Okay, I got
1: it. You got it. Okay, here we go, Artie. Okay, um, I'm going to answer you a bunch. Ask you a bunch of trivia questions. You're going to have 60 seconds to answer them after I ask the first question. If you get a question right, we're just going to move on to the next question. You get them all right, and we're going to just uh, we're we're just going to move on to the next one. Right. Okay. If you get them all right, we're gonna you'll win. Okay, you'll win the thousand dollars. Okay. All ready to go? Sounds good. Okay. What is the coldest of the four seasons? Winter. On a common ladybug, what color are its spots?
3: On a co- I didn't hear that.
1: On a common ladybug, what color are its spots? Black. What state does Congressman George Santos represent? Connecticut. Ah, I'm sorry. No, George Santos, we are lucky enough to have him... In the state of New York. York. I'm sorry, Artie. I'm going to put you on hold. Give Kenneth your information. We're going to send you a consolation prize of some sort. Sorry. Uh, Best of luck. And now turn all those radios and tablets and television sets back on. Listen loudly to the wisdom that is about to emerge from Brian Kilmeade, best-selling author and all-around good guy, a co-anchor of Fox & Friends, nationally syndicated radio talk show host, and a one-man media Haven. Brian, good morning. Hey, Frank.
7: I, I love the fact that he's in a nursing home up at four in the morning and still on top of the news. I mean, oh, that's please. the Absolutely. attitude you got to have. No right? doubt
1: about it. No doubt about it. And he's uh, he's getting ready for uh, all the war on AM radio because he's got a tablet on as well. And he's he's, <laughs> he's got the tablet there. So we uh, I was rooting for him to win. But you know, even George Santos never made up the lie about him being from Connecticut, so what could you do?
7: Right. Um, it, it, sooner or later, he will. Uh, if it fails exactly. in Nassau County.
1: Hey, uh, opening day today, I'm pretty excited. Uh, I know you're more of a soccer guy, but you know your baseball, too. No, no, no. How are you feeling about it? I'm a soccer
7: player, but in terms of fan, it's uh, football, than baseball with me. I think it's exciting. I mean, for me, uh, being a Met fan, I'm never used to... Knowing that the owners out there doing whatever it takes, the team is young and uh, up and coming and optimistic, and it's not going to be the Jesse Barfield, Oscar Gamble, Steinbrenner days. I'll just go get an expensive free agent, and see how they fit in, have a bunch of DHs. But I do do think that this, you have an owner there will do everything to put this team together to win. So I never had that in my lifetime.
1: No, yeah, you, you and me both. It could not have been said uh, uh, of the Wilpons, could not have been said of Nelson Doubleday. Hey, how are you feeling about these uh, new rules changes?
7: You know, I haven't seen it. I've only read about it and talked to guys about it. And Kurt Schilling hates it. Uh, everybody else seems to love it. And I, th- I heard they're knocking 30 minutes off a game. And one thing I never thought about, So we're talking about the fans and we're talking about, you know, we're talking about uh, viewership and ratings. The players love it. The players don't want to be on their feet. So if you could get them into the locker room an hour earlier after 162 games for all 162, I mean, and also the extra inning marathons with a guy on second is, you know, people say, well, that's not real baseball. To me, it's it makes sense because if you're going to play this whole season and want these guys to play hard, they really can't. It's really there's a, a lot to be said for pacing yourself. Now they're, they're going out of their way to say don't you know the best you can don't pace yourself. Every games every game's important. We'll get you off sooner. You know you're not going to have these more than likely not have these big marathons in the middle of the year that destroys your bullpen. Uh, so I, I, I like I like that they're changing things, but it also shows that baseball's worried
1: yeah uh no doubt about it i mean the uh, the uh, age of the baseball fan is older than any other professional sport, and I think that 's one of the things that uh, that they 're very worried about uh, quite honestly so we'll see uh, we'll see where it goes i'm optimistic'm I'm, I'm hopeful I should say maybe that's a better word hey uh, you got uh, a little bit of a little bit of heat from some quarters of the world for your comments about uh, donald trump 's rally in Waco, Texas last weekend uh Give me your take on um on what specifically you took issue with and um, what some of the reaction has been from the Trump corner of the world. Well, I mean, well, I have my own show
7: at eight. So I, you know, preparing for that, doing things and, uh, you know, on Saturdays at eight o'clock, but he had his five o'clock start. Now he has such a strong story to tell. Hey, how do you like inflation under me? What was Europe like with me? Who got NATO to pay up their defense? Who no longer took advantage of that of that alliance? Who got the Abraham Accords rolling? Who had trade deals going? Was China more belligerent or less belligerent during my time? So I mean, over and over again, the president, the border—what was who was better on the border than me, than this guy? I mean, the president has got a story to tell, and I just can't believe that anybody thinks opening up with a January 6th choir. Or talking about how it was no big deal will work for anyone. Just because the January 6th, uh, January 6th committee was a big infomercial for Democrats. It doesn't mean January 6th is a good thing for Republicans. And it's a very bad thing for the president. Oh, always. I don't care. Anyone listening right now says oh, it's always overblown. Absolutely. But I'm not going to go fall on a sword for a guy in a sheepskin and face paint and no shirt on sitting in the Nancy Pelosi seat. So... I'm I'm watching this and I cannot believe that's the way it started. And the thing is, two thirds of the president's agenda, most of America would take today. So talk about it. Joe Biden gave him a layup, and he decided to shoot from the back from the uh, from the baseline, and it makes it made no sense to me. So I say it.
1: Uh, So a lot of the Trump folks thought you were a little too uh, harsh on him. But do you think this is going to be a preview of what's to come from Donald Trump? We've certainly uh, seen multiple aspects of Trump's personality as a candidate and a political figure. We've seen him be very petty at times, uh, do the whole Don Rickles routine with his adversaries. We've also seen him be more statesmanlike, like like he was in um, a couple of his State of the Union addresses and— Uh, A couple of other a couple of other instances that uh, that stand out. Do you think this is going to be what we're in store for for the next year and a half? This is this is what
7: I, I think listeners just have to understand. Do you do you if you want Trump to win? It's not letting Trump be Trump because he will win the Republican Party, but he will not win the election. Unless he starts talking about what he wants to do, how he would do it different, what he already accomplished. And coming up, and if you want to beat Ron DeSantis, I know. I, I remember Bush 41 going against Bob Dole. They were tearing each other's eyes out. I remember Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. It got extremely personal. I'm not against that. That's just what happens. I get it. Ted Cruz and Trump, I get it. They end up friends. So I know the way the brawl works. But if you're going to go after Ron DeSantis, you can't go all after him on the pandemic. You can't go after him about saying you kept your state uh, shut down too long. When you're on the record saying he opened up too quick. If you know, if you, like me, were lucky enough to get to Florida and compared it to New York, you are forever grateful because he let you make choices. So when Ron DeSantis, to me, it's very easy to go after Ron DeSantis if you're Trump. He's a good guy. Really strong governor, great potential, smart as a whip. But why, why at this point, with things so serious, with the world about to explode, do you want someone to learn in the job? Mm-hmm. I did the job. I know the people. I know how to code up. They know what to expect with me, and that is going to be toughness and America first. Why would you go with a 44-year-old governor that put Florida first when I know how to run a country? I know the people to put in place. I know the mistakes I made before. That's who you run. And I know it's going to get personal and they're going to and Desantis is going to get personal with him. But it makes no sense for me to go after if I'm Trump to go after him on the pandemic and now pretend they were never friends. We know they were tight. I everybody knows they were friends. So I'm going to comment on people. And, and that, I think that's what you do want as a talk show host. I'm going to comment that Nikki Haley is unbelievably competent. And, and but is there a lane for her? Let's see. When foreign foreign policy matters a lot, I think she's going to come up strong. But right now, she's not registering. Youngkin brings a lot to the table. I'm going to break down every candidate. But I just think, and I I just think that going after DeSantis on his strengths doesn't make much sense.
1: It's going to be it's going to be very interesting uh, to see how the contest uh, plays out uh, going forward, and uh, I um, you know I, I'm I'm hopeful that we'll see something different. You know, somebody that has had no problem mixing it up with uh, Donald Trump though, so far, uh, we've seen has been Chris Christie. He was in New Hampshire this week. And he unloaded both barrels on Donald Trump, who he was the first governor in the country to endorse, and then the first person to jump off the Trump wagon. Uh, I don't clearly he's doing this to set up his own uh, possible presidential candidacy. I don't see much enthusiasm in any quarter for a Chris Christie presidential candidacy. Do you? Not yet, but he's so talented. He is uh, w- very
7: smart and he knows politics. If you watch him on ABC on Sunday, I mean, every Sunday I, I watch that show because I'm pulling sound bites from Chris Christie because he just knows what he's talking about. And he's very tough. And, you know, Trump took his lane. You know, the toughness, the directness, the confrontational, you know, in the beginning when he wasn't resonating in Iowa, I was with him in Iowa and he was packing, packing these bars and restaurants. But Trump was getting bigger crowds, even though he finished in second in Iowa. But I was with Christie; I saw the way people really appreciate who he is. But right now, I don't uh, – the lane's not there. But as I pointed out last week, Barack Obama was trailing Hillary Clinton by 22 points at this point. And in the last cycle, Jeb Bush and Scott Walker were one and two in the Republican primary. So things are going to change rapidly. So when we play back this show, when this goes to the – when this show goes to the Museum of Broadcasting, where most of your shows go at the end, right. you have to get the tape and you yeah. just walk it over there. We might want to play this back and, and say, wow, what do we think then? But I just got that Fox poll and Trump is doubling DeSantis. DeSantis is the number one pick. If you have to pick the second pick, he's killing everybody. But right now it is uh, Trump by 25 uh, in the Fox poll.
1: Well, it's going to be um, an exciting year, I think. I think the election may be more competitive than, uh, than a lot of folks uh, realize at this point. Hey, uh, Brian, obviously there's a lot of discussion about uh, gun control in light of what happened uh, in uh, in, uh, in Tennessee. There was a bit of a heated exchange between uh, Congressman uh, Jamal Bowman, Democrat and Republican yeah. Thomas Massey. Here's a little bit of it if people haven't heard it or haven't seen it
13: children at all cowards pressure them, force them to respond to the question: Why the hell don't you do anything to save America's children? And let them explain that all the way up until election day on twenty twenty four. Let them explain it all the way up to election day on twenty twenty four.
19: They're freaking cowards. They're gutless. they are not here. I'm talking about gun violence. You know, there's never been. I'm talking a about gun violence
14: that allows teachers to carry. Carry guns? Would would you, you would more guns lead, more, more guns lead
13: to more death. More guns lead to
14: more death. Look sponsor?
13: at the data. You're not
14: looking at any
10: data.
1: Uh, clearly, uh, Congressman Bowman, especially very passionate there. Um, it, it, w- w- I mean, first of all, you could comment on that if, if you want, and then uh, tell me what you think we're going to see, if anything, in terms of any additional gun safety legislation in the aftermath of this. I don't. I mean, we did
7: it two years ago. You got all the blowback from the 17 senators. I talked to Senator Cornyn. I mean, they looked at what happened in Buffalo, and they said, uh, and then the, the, the shooting right afterwards, what happened? A crazy 17-year-old that everyone knows was nuts turned 18, and they expunged his record. He was able to legally walk in and get guns. And now they have a way of, of transferring those records to 18-year-olds that are having uh, trouble. Uh, and and the, so people understand that gun shop owner who nobody wants to sell a killer a gun. If you're a gun shop owner, talk to these guys that they, they have no interest in doing anything but giving responsible gun owners guns. So you have to empower them to go the background check to see what's there, to see if that person who's walking in there buying his seventh gun in this case is out of his mind. Now, how would you know her out of her mind? So how would you know that? Well, seeing a therapist and does the therapist getting any clue that this person was danger to himself or anybody else? My sense is the answer is yes. The family didn't want him, her to have guns. And it says, I didn't think they have any. We took the one out we had. And now it turns out they had seven. So before I judge any parents, the parents knew he was dangerous. The best friend called the cops as soon as they talked and said, this guy's going to kill this woman's going to kill herself. Uh, they go, okay, let me take action, and it was too late. So if you could somehow get into that client-patient relationship on danger, also, my sense is, what drugs were this person on? Are they on any psychotropic drugs? Are there any mood-altering drugs, everything from manic depression on down? There seems to be a pretty good consistency with that. So I don't know if we should arm the gun shop owners with a true background check, To make sure that Frank Morano can get a gun, but the lunatic next door to you can't. So you got to get the background check to mean something. But my sense is right now, and I called my district too in Massapequa, and they have armed guards. Everybody knows it. They have surge patrol on, on two major highways. There are five elementary schools, two middle schools, a high school, and they have money. And they also have ballistic tape over over strategically placed on these doors and these windows. So if you do not have an armed guard like this Christian school and you don't have ballistic tape over the glass, that's not fair to the school. Mm. We have all this covid money laying around. Don't tell me the biggest school, the smallest school, the biggest city like the one we're in or the smallest cities, but the one might be picking up that clear 770 signal right now. Can't get some of the financing to get people there. Cops, for the most part, retire at the, the the peak of their career in their 40s if they start in their 20s. How many wouldn't want to guard a school and get paid? Sure. They got experience. They got conviction. It's their own kids. So there's ways to harden the target, uh, bolster the background check. But I don't want to take away innocent people's guns because there are lunatics amongst us. And I'm not against arming the teachers that choose to get the training. And they, these lunatics have one thing in common. They are not brave. They want to slaughter. They don't want a gunfight. They go for soft targets. Let them know there's not a soft target around. You take a step, you will be killed. Uh, finally, and it's Brian, going to be a struggle to get in. Uh,
1: fine, Brian. I, I know uh, we both have to run, but I have to uh, get your comment on this because it just broke in the last few minutes. I think even while we've been talking, Russia has detained a Wall Street Journal reporter, an American— uh, Evan Gershkovich, a Wall Street a co- Journal correspondent based in Moscow, accusing him of, uh, of espionage. How, uh, how likely it is it, do you think, that this Wall Street Journal reporter was actually engaging in espionage? Zero. Uh, just, just like that Marine that's being held against his will,
7: zero. Just like Brittany Griner, uh, the zero-weight, she was charged with all those years in jail. I did not even see that story. But the Wall Street Journal reporter, I saw a CNN reporter in there. There might be an NBC reporter. Besides that, everybody was told uh, to get out. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's going to so, be. Um, we'll this it's not going to be good. No. And, and just keep your eye on China. Absolutely. And we wish uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Gershkovic the best. Brian, we'll be watching you on Fox and Friends and uh, listening to you on the radio. Thank you, as always. Go get him, Frank. All right, Brian Kilmeade. Um, the man is on radio and television and writing more hours than I'm awake. This is the other side of midnight 15 seconds of fame straight ahead
0: The other side of midnight, midnight. 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 It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano The other side of midnight This is 15 seconds of fame
1: Mike Good
8: Morning Frank Kudos to Elon Musk and his pals for composing a letter to pause AI research for six months. Rumor is, his AI wrote the letter.
12: Joey. Frank, where do you get his contestants from, the $1,000 contestant thing? What month is it he got that wrong, and the other one was, oh, uh, what station you listen to? How do you get these wrong? you get his contestants from?
10: Raji. Well... Our four senior citizens are going to bed hungry. ABC hosts Levine and Cosby insist that we send anything and everything uh, to Zelensky. And finally, Neil.
14: A new baseball season, and it won't be long before you join me saying the Mets suck.
1: <laughs> Let's hope not. All right, ask Frank anything tomorrow. Come on with good questions. Frank Moreno, good day.